Welcome into the best in true crime podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Got to welcome back an old friend to the show. And we're going to talk about one of his projects that's out there right now on an app that you can check out, VIX, the VIX app, which I checked out based on his recommendation. I was enthralled with it, folks. We're going to talk about it today. It's called Paraiso Blanco. It is a, a Spanish language show based on Carlos Later, is a Colombian drug lord. And uh, there's a book out there by our guest, Ron Shepsuk, who was with us with the Bad Henry book, if you remember that, just a few weeks ago. Uh, Henry Lewis Wallace, the serial killer in North Carolina. And this program, Paraiso Blanco, was extremely just enthralling, folks. I, I... I had a wonderful time watching the the episode that I got to watch, and then I wanted to compare it to Crazy Charlie. And we're going to talk with Ron today about uh, the way that it got, uh, and by the way, Ron's name is in shining lights right at the beginning of the program, which is really cool. We're going to talk to him about how this came about, how the program was developed off of Crazy Charlie. We're going to talk to him a little bit about the book, a little bit about the program itself, how all of that developed, and talk to him about the program itself. Uh, it's uh it's, it's enthralling. Again, uh, if you want to find VIX, the way I found it was by, I, I have Apple TV here at home, so I just downloaded the app, the VIX app, and it's easy to find. It's right there. It's featured right there on the, on the VIX app. You can also find it on other ways and other streaming uh, devices that you have or simply on your computer by looking up VIX. Um, let's bring him in right now. Again, you're familiar with our guest from being with us just a few weeks ago with the Bad Henry book. Ron Shepsuk is an author, screenwriter, producer, director, ghostwriter, and crime show radio host. He's the author of 42 books, thousands of articles, and several screenplays, as well as the director of three documentaries. He is a Fulbright scholar to Indonesia and Bangladesh. Ladies and gentlemen, let's welcome back to True Crime Tuesday, Ron Shepsuk. Hi, sir. How are you? Thank you, Tim. How are you doing? Very well, very well. Happy uh, Labor Day, by the way. Yes, happy Labor Day. We're recording this uh, on Monday, Labor Day, and I tell you, we're probably the only two working. <laughs> That's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, uh, that. Uh, and, and I appreciate you being with us, sir, uh, yeah. for that. Um, My pleasure. Uh, Paraiso Blanco. This is uh, this is an interesting, and I tell you, I, I want to, you know, most people, when, when you say subtitles, they go, oh, I don't want to read my programming. I tell you this much, Ron. Put that aside. Put it. Put aside the the subtitle thing. The guy, first of all, I, I got to tell you, and I, I don't. I'm not familiar with the actor's name. The guy who Sebastian plays Nazario. Yes, the guy who plays Carlos is amazing. He's amazing, um, and he just has this charisma that just just oozes all over the screen and draws you in. Especially, and I'm talking about the guy who plays young Carlos. Um, and he just draws you in. Uh, I want to get your impression, first of all, on him before we go any further. What was your impression of him when you first saw him on the screen? Well, I actually met him and oh, I, I talked okay. to him about his role in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, I was there in uh, I was there like three or three or four times while they were doing the series. They did the series. Out, there's 30 episodes and um, they, they're, they're streaming the first 15 okay. uh, right now. So it's like two seasons on that. And I met him in uh, Bogota when they were uh, on the set and uh, it was episode 10. So they were a little bit into the series and all that. Uh, I was really impressed with this guy. He was only like 24 years old. Oh, wow. And uh, like he plays the young, young Carlos. And uh, um, uh, he's, he, like you say, he's got charisma and uh, very handsome. And um, uh, he was very interested in, in uh, the role. He liked my book. 
Mm -hmm. uh, he asked me questions about what I thought about uh, playing Carlos. And uh, so I gave him my, my opinion. We talked about an hour. Uh, and that was it. And um, I think his role was uh, was uh, well done. I think he he really he really captured the um, the essence of uh, Carlos uh, Later's uh, personality. And I'm very happy with, with with what he's done. And I really think he's going to be a crossover star too, um, uh, somewhere like uh, like Matt Damon or uh, Brad Pitt. Really. Yeah. He. You know. It, it's hard to play unhinged and likable at the same time you know you can do one or the yeah. other it's hard to do both yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good that's a good way to put it <laughs> yeah it, it's it's a it's a hard uh, you know we, we have villains in our lexicon that that of course you can i mean they're very few and far between you've got a tony soprano you've got you know yeah. you've got the you've got those that that you can you can attach to and go well you know i can kind of justify why he's doing but you don't know why yeah. you fall in love with them there's just a yeah. you know but but uh definitely this this villain is one of those that that you kind of go well you know i kind of can yeah. you know i can can kind of take the ride with them and 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 see what it is that that people like about this guy right the, the, the title uh, Pareso Blanco is uh, White Paradise, mm -hmm. and uh, they changed it from my book, which is Crazy Charlie, which mm -hmm. I thought <laughs> was pretty apt. That was a name given to him by some of his compatriots in the drug trade mm -hmm. on that. But uh, yes, he was very unpredictable, um, crazy, really, <laughs> yeah. in, in a lot of ways. Um, he, he smoked a lot of marijuana, uh, did some cocaine, and I think that uh, exacerbated uh, his... Um, his uh craziness on mm -hmm. that and i think it actually did him in at the end now ron how was it that that filmmakers come across your book crazy charlie and then decide well, that, they're going to adapt this into uh into a a, a series well well you know i've had uh about five books optioned for uh for movies it's really hard to get a um uh an option and it's really hard to get made into a movie you gotta get you gotta raise the money and millions of dollars and all that but uh, one day I just uh, was on the Internet and uh, checking my email and I got this uh, message from Caracol Television Network in Colombia. And uh, one of the producers said uh, uh, they're interested in my book. Uh, they're doing a series on Carlos Later. Uh, would I be interested in, in talking about option yet? And I said, of course. Mm -hmm. So uh, we ended up on a phone conversation and uh, right there they decided to uh, to option it. Already they're into the series. So they're looking for some intellectual property I wish to tie the series to okay. uh, on that because that'll, that'll enhance the, I guess, the uh, uh, the, the reputation of the, of the series on mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And so I ended up going to Columbia in uh, March of uh, last year, and uh, we signed a contract. And uh, uh, they were tremendous. I mean, they were really professional about everything, even... Uh, and I got paid oh, <laughs> on time yeah. uh, on that. So that which was one of the most important things, of course, mm -hmm. on that. And uh, I was very happy with what the way I was treated and the way they uh, the way they did the series. Now, when you come in as a as the the author of Crazy Charlie, and you, and they're they're kind of banking on your knowledge so far of of the situation, are you asked to do further research on top of what you've already brought to the table? No, no, essentially. The contract uh, called for uh, the book to be optioned. It, the series was to be based on the book. And then I was a consultant on that. Uh, they didn't uh, c consult me as much as I wanted to, but I did. Like I said, I talked to uh, to uh, uh, Osario, okay. uh, Sebastian, uh, about uh, about his role on that. And then I talked to the uh, producers about certain uh, things that they asked me on that. Mm -hmm. uh, but I essentially, uh, you know, stayed out of the way. Uh, and, you know, I'm not... 
you know, uh, really concerned about uh, them not taking my book and adapting it literally to the screen because I realized as a screenwriter myself that there are two different elements, two different uh, uh, creative uh, products. You know, you have the, sure. you have this um, the book um, and you have the script, and there's uh, different elements that go into making uh, each one of those, and they don't ne- necessarily mesh. Mm-hmm. So I expected you know them to make changes in 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 my book and in 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 the uh, the plot of the uh, the movie and and the, way, the treatment of the characters and that's what happened how much creative license do you feel is taken with with uh, carlos's story well i think it's pretty it's pretty uh, it follows the uh, the general course of his his life they take a little uh, uh, interesting uh, uh, diversions on on um, his background uh, for example his father uh, they only deal with them in one scene, mm-hmm. and you know I deal with them early in 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 the in my book. I I spent uh, considerable pages on him. Uh, he was a um, um, a a German, uh, a really uh, right wing German. Uh, I wouldn't want to call him a, a a Nazi yet, but he had sympathy towards Hitler. Okay, and uh, I think he had a big influence on Carlos because Carlos became essentially a, a racist and anti semite. Uh, he's well on the record about talking both, uh, 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 you know, being a racist and also being an anti-Semite on that. And so they took, uh, uh, but they didn't really deal with uh, his father. There's only like one scene in there. And uh, they don't deal with, uh, with uh, his impact on, on, on his character. Mm-hmm. And uh, they also didn't deal with the political aspect of Carlos' life. Uh, Carlos was very interested in politics. In fact, uh, he had the fantasy of thinking he could be president of Colombia. And um, and he organized a party called the National Latin Party, uh, which was essentially organized to uh, oppose extradition of uh, Colombians uh, to the United States on that. But there was actually no mention of that in the the first 15 episodes uh, about his political leanings. They treated him more as a as a Lothario, you know, as a womanizer. Yeah. uh, On that. Uh, One thing that they dealt why I thought they did well was they showed his character becoming more and more malevolent as the series went on you know he sort of uh, dumps uh george jung who was mm-hmm. his partner mm-hmm. uh george uh, jung of course was the his story was the basis of blow you know the the big um, movie that was done with um, johnny depp right right on that and uh and uh so you know they dealt with that character and and he does change on that but i'm interesting to see what's going to happen in the second 15 episodes because they don't really deal with this politics and uh, also didn't deal with his, his uh, racism and um, anti-Semitism. And so when he goes back to Columbia, I'm going to see what they're going to, uh, how they're going to deal with him. And that's going to be interesting. Now, you mentioned the, the beginnings of, of Carlos's life. And, and I think that's probably a good place to start with, with Carlos, because it's, it's interesting. And we can do the little compare and contrast here with, with Carlos. Um, in the series itself, uh, and, and I'm not really spoiling anything, if people go to, to watch the first episode, and they can on VIX, uh, Paraiso Blanco is the name of the series. Um, and again, uh, you can look up the app. If you have uh, Apple TV, it's real easy. You just look up the, the app on Apple TV, and it, it comes right up. Um, they state it as essentially or simply that, that um, Carlos's mother and father have uh, I don't want to I don't want to put this simply uh, Ron but they they have their series of disagreements and there's some domestic abuse there 
in which uh, Carlos's mother then leaves and takes Carlos with her to the United States. Right, when he was about 15 years old. Right. Does that differ in reality? No, I, I think that's that's uh, that's pretty true. Um, you know, Carlos came to the U.S. with uh, great expectations. He had a, a really fondness for America, but uh, he didn't really make it in America. He thought he was going to be big. Mm-hmm. Uh, he ended up stealing cars, getting caught. And I think he had this resentment against the United States because of his poor experience uh, living in, in the United States. Um, you know, he, he ended up sending uh, kilos back to the U.S. with swastikas on the on the bags, <laughs> on that sort of thing. And he was uh, uh, very pronounced in um, in uh, voicing his um, his displeasure with the United States uh, on in various interviews. You know, he, he called it uh, the home of Satan and uh and he said he was going to destroy it with cocaine on, on everything. And uh, his mother was interesting. Uh, he had a he had a close relation with his mother, Helena. Mm-hmm. She was a former beauty queen, um, and uh, and they and they lived in um, in um, in the U.S. And then uh, he uh, ended up in prison in Danforth Prison in Connecticut, and that's where he met George uh, George Young. And uh, the rest is history. Now. Ron, there's there's a there's a scene and and maybe you can clear this up for me. I would I have to admit to our listeners one thing real quick here. Sometimes I'm not the brightest bulb on the tree. I didn't realize there were English subtitles. So he, me and my little rusty ninth grade Spanish, I'm trying to follow along uh, with what was going on on the screen. Right. Although it was very easy to follow along with, I, I got to admit that. Um, but th- when they moved to the states, when he and his mother moved to the states, are they staying with relatives? Is that what I, I gathered? Well, I think he, he stayed with his brother. Okay. Uh, when he came to the United States, and uh, he got involved with uh, with petty crime. Uh, I think he was a born criminal, and he ended up uh, dealing, peddling uh, in marijuana, dabbling in in uh, marijuana uh, trafficking, and uh, but he was also interested in cars. And he had a brother back in Medellin, where he managed to ship the cars back to uh, to uh, to Colombia, and he had a pretty. Uh, it was pretty relatively prosperous uh, uh, gig going on there until he was caught and then ended up in prison in uh, in the United deported from um, from the United States and ended up in prison in uh, in the in the U.S. And then when he was released, uh, he uh, was uh, shipped back to uh, to Colombia. And by then he had already had a, a design for what he was going to do, uh, which was to revolutionize the drug trade. Mm-hmm. Uh, by flying planes into the United States with um, big, uh, big shipments of uh, of uh, cocaine. Now, there's a scene that that alludes to something, and I'm curious if this is the same as far as you understand. There's a scene where, as a teenager, he's playing rock and roll records and he's dancing around in his room. And I think this, right. I think you're aware of the scene I'm talking about. Is it his uncle that that breaks into the room and there's like a a little bit of a hint as to maybe some improprieties there. Do you know what I'm talking I'm, about? I'm not. I'm not really sure if that was his uncle or not. Um, it was a relative on that. Okay. And uh, of course, it, it was interesting the way they did that scene. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I found it. It, it they kind of dance around it like there could have been some abuse there. There might there might not have been. Or he, he essentially goes to his mother and he he says, "Well, you know what? You're you're either gonna." you know, bring this to somebody's attention or I'm out of here type of deal. 
and yeah, he yeah. leaves. I think I think that 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 was probably pretty accurate. I think it was pretty accurate. I think that there was there was some abuse going on in there, and uh, th- this is why she she left Wilhelm, his father. Okay. Oh, um, by the way, uh, uh, later is going to be um, seventy four in three days. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Well, well actually, it'll be the seventh of of, um, of September. Oh, okay. Interesting. All right. Yeah, he um, was born nineteen forty nine. Okay. Oh, okay. All right. Um, so he, he's still alive. He's still with us. Well, what happened was uh, in, in uh, 2020, in uh, I think it was June 17th, uh, suddenly he was just taken out of prison, just like in a movie, mm-hmm. and uh, put on a plane and uh, deported to, uh, to Germany. And uh, he had uh, German citizenship. He was German-Colombian. And uh, the Germans were willing to take him. And uh, he went back and he was supposedly it was supposedly a humanitarian gesture. He was supposedly sick uh, on that. And uh, he ended up um, back in uh, in Colombia. Um, when I heard that he got um, got released and after 33 years and was back in um, back in Germany, was shipped to Germany. Uh, I tried to reach out to him. Um, my 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 manager um reached out to his lawyer who was in Miami okay. and uh, the lawyer talked with my manager and um, uh, he said to send him a whole bunch of stuff. So I sent him, I have a script on, uh, on uh, Carl's later uh, life and uh, uh, the book, of course, and then a sort of a proposal, what I wanted to do, but we never heard back from him. It was hmm. uh, really amazing. And what's interesting is uh, earlier this year, <laughs> there was a program in Colombia. And this woman was on who claimed that she had collaborated with Carlos on his life story on that. And uh, she was talking away on the show. And the uh, uh, host said, oh, uh, uh, let's get let's get Carlos later on the show. And Carlos later came on the show. for oh. the phone. And uh, he, he was really irate. Uh, he he said that the woman was a liar. He was going to sue her. And uh, he had nothing to do with her, which was kind of which was kind of funny. But he, re- he re- revealed on that show that he was working on a, a documentary. Uh, he didn't mention the, the producer's name, but he was working on a documentary. And he said that uh, they were expecting a documentary to be released uh, uh, late uh, this year. Now, that that in itself is interesting. And I'll, I'll tell the, the audience why. It, it's It's that... You would think that he would want to either one jump on board with you and in collaborate or or give you some sort of information either on Crazy Charlie or even want to uh, jump on board with Prizo Blanco and give some sort of information for that show, wouldn't you think? Yeah, uh, but you, we don't know what's going on in his mind. Like uh, you know, he's been in prison for thirty three years. He's sick, and uh, he's living in Germany. He's got his own uh, probably aspirations. Sure. So, yeah, I, I didn't hold that against him. I, I always thought it was a long shot, but I, but I really didn't need need him. You know, I optioned the book. Yeah. I didn't need his his uh, his approval or anything on that. And um, and uh, I've done a script which uh, we we're going to be trying to sell um, in English, uh, which is going to be uh, interesting on that. We're working on that. So, yeah, I, I didn't really. And I thought I always thought it was a long shot, too, on that. And yeah. Um, uh, the the lawyer told us he said that the, that the later was sick and he needed some time to make a readjustment to society, 
And so, you know, I said, okay, and we left it at that. Do you know for a fact, Ron, that he's getting, because, and I just make this reference, I only know this reference from being a fan of Eddie Van Halen, for the fact that when Eddie went to Germany, for the longest time they were treating him for his cancer over there, and they managed to successfully keep him alive for years mm-hmm. um, with advanced cancer treatments over there. Do you right. know, is, is later getting treatment over there for the cancer? I, I don't know what his sickness is uh, okay. on that day, and then they never said it in, in public, and he has never revealed it. Hmm. Okay. So I don't, I don't really know. Uh, and any, any kind of... Uh, talk about it would be pure speculation okay. which i don't want to do okay because I, I don't really know what what uh what, what his uh what his problem is but he sounded on the radio show uh because i got a copy of the uh of the thing mm-hmm. and uh, he sounded uh pretty normal i mean he didn't oh. sound like his voice was strong and everything so it was interesting interesting indeed uh because when when you think back to the different members of the Medellin cartel and what's become of them since. I mean, there aren't a whole hell of a lot of, of players well, left uh, that are around that can, that can actually. Well, you know, that's interesting. Uh, there was, uh, of course, Pablo Escobar, who's dead. Mm-hmm. Rodriguez Gacha, who's mm-hmm. dead. Mm-hmm. And then you have um, the Ochoa brothers, who are the other uh, from uh, Jorge, um, one, um, and the other two brothers, and um, they managed to uh, get out of the drug trade with most of their money. They spent a couple of years. They were the smart ones uh, back in the 80s when, when Escobar was going crazy with nar- was a narco-terrorism campaign against the Colombian state. Uh, they turned themselves in, and uh, they were smart, and uh, they avoided getting killed because that, that was the ultimate end of, um, of uh, Escobar on that. But the Midian cartel is essentially disbanded, you mm-hmm. know, and Colombia is yep. playing a a much more um, minor role in um, in, the, in the drug trade than they did back in the 80s and early 90s. Yeah, very much so. We'll, we'll talk about that on the back half of the program because, uh, you know, Carlos had a very interesting role in how cocaine was transported between, and, and he claims that um, – there was a huge conspiracy between countries, including Cuba, in that whole deal. We'll talk about that in the back half of the program on how he developed that and how he was kind of the uh, mastermind, we'll put it that way, behind uh, transportation of cocaine between countries. Um, when it comes to this this program and the book and, and, and all, Ron, are you finding that, that um, things line up a lot more truer to life or are we are we kind of jumping into a little bit of a gray area when it comes to carlos are we creating a new character i guess i should say when it comes to carlos when we get into paraiso blanco is it is it uh closer to the man or are we creating a new man well they, like i said they they follow the the storyline pretty closely um uh, but one big difference, of course, is that the, the way they treat the character, uh, they don't really focus on the political aspect of it. They don't talk about they don't deal with the father that much and his uh, his background and his uh, pro-German uh, views on that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And so they have this, uh, you know, uh, they treat him more of a, like I said, like a Lothario um, uh, womanizer on that. And they really stay away from the uh, politics, which is go- it's going to be interesting because, you know, he, he ended up. 
on Norman's Cay, which is the island that uh, that you alluded to, mm-hmm. uh, which became the uh, uh, the pivot for uh, the transportation of drugs from Colombia to the U.S. and uh, revolutionized the drug trade on that. And um, so, uh, but uh, excuse me, I, was, I forgot what I was going to say there. <laughs> oh, uh, just are we are we creating a new character th- through this through this series? Do you feel? Is, by the time we get to the end of the second series, well, it's going to be feel... interesting because I really, I really don't know. I, I was telling you about the differences in the way I treated him, and and in real life, and uh, the way the uh, the series uh, treated him, and I explained that uh, a lot of it has to do with the the nature of uh, of, of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, they're different than books, and uh, and they have to be. Uh, there has to be uh, compromises. You know, with the original story from which you're adapting it from. And uh, as a screenwriter myself, I realize that, so I don't get upset um, with uh, uh, with uh, with the changes that that they've made. And but overall, I think they they followed it pretty closely mm-hmm. on that. They've invented some characters. Uh, there's a woman in there that uh, he falls for, um, which is, is fictional. Uh, she does a good job on that. But uh, but like I said, it's two different it's two different mediums. You know, you have film and you have um, books and um, and uh, you can't uh, translate the book to the movie exactly the way it was in the book. The reason I ask, Ron, is this. Um, as you know, television movies can be a powerful medium. And we can tend to change history throughout that. Um, you know, we can, we can put something on the silver screen and it can tend to influence society as we know it. And the problem with that can be if something like Parizo Blanco takes off, even in a certain section of our, of, of our culture. Um, there's a danger there. There's a danger that you can take what was Carlos later the man and make him more of a mythological character. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and if you do take that political leaning out of there, uh, what was the dangerous side of that man? You take the tooth out of the man or the tooth out of the the dangerous part of the animal, so to speak. And then you say, oh, yeah, he was a Lothario. He was a, you know, he was a, a, a guy with a lot of uh, charisma. He was, you know, he was really, he wasn't that dangerous. Yeah. It, there's a danger of rewriting history. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, do you feel that there's a danger in rewriting history with the show? Not really. Um, like I said, I've only seen half of it okay. because it's only season one on that and they're, they're they've uh, arrived at the uh, part where uh, later is on Norman's K the island which he used to distribute uh, drugs from Colombia to uh, uh, the US and the DA's on to him uh, he's corrupted the Colombian the Bahamian government mm-hmm. uh, so that he could operate uh, on Norman's K and uh, they're about ready to get him kicked off of of, um, of uh, Norman's K so they're going to bring him he's going to come back to uh, to uh to to colombia and it's going to be interesting you know how they treat them there because uh, like i said they 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 don't really deal with the political aspect of uh, later's life in the first uh, 15 episodes mm-hmm. and uh that was a big part of, of later when he came back to uh to colombia he tried to start a party and uh he had uh delusions of being uh president of of colombia mm-hmm. someday mm-hmm. and um and uh, they, they made a mistake. They killed the justice minister, Rodrigo Bonilla. And um, uh, that turned the fury of the Colombian government backed by the United States, 
onto the Medellin cartel and they had to leave um, Colombia. They fled to Panama where they were under protection of Noriega. They thought that Noriega might be double crossing them. So they eventually ended up in, in Nicaragua. And then when the heat cooled down, they came back uh, to Colombia and, uh, you know, they continued to operate, you know, as a Midian cartel okay. on that. But uh, the whole situation changed. You know, later didn't ha- uh, Escobar didn't have uh, the power that he once had. And uh, in order to maintain himself, he had to turn to terrorism. Okay. Know, narco- with, with the term that was used was narco-terrorism. Right. Well, and we'll, we'll jump into that here in the second half because we, we yeah. want to get into detail with that. Um and, and, and what I, I want to wrap up this segment with this. Now, obviously, when a show becomes popular, you want more than two seasons out of it. I mean, you know, you want to you want to extend it out a little bit. There may be the further adventures of Carlos here that never happened. I mean, obviously, it's got to become fictionalized at some point. Do you see based on a true story happening maybe sometime down the line if you go past two seasons? Well, it's interesting because uh, uh, Caracol also did... Um, a series on Pablo Escobar, okay. which is the most popular Spanish language TV uh, streaming ser- uh, program ever. And it went on for like 10 years. It's still going on and it's still in the top 10 of Netflix's uh, shows that last time I looked mm-hmm. on that. And it's a good, really good series. Yeah. Really good series. Yep. And uh, this series, uh, from what I understand, is, is uh, it's gotten good reviews and uh, it's really popular. Uh, but I think they've they've locked themselves in into into expanding this. You know, if it's really 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 successful, uh, I don't think they could go past thirty episodes. Okay. Uh, because I think they've they've uh, they've sketched his life unless they get into real fantasy. Yeah. Like uh, you know, he's in prison and he ends up being released and working for the CIA or some ridiculous thing like that, which some people thought he was, by the way, on that. But I don't I really I don't really see uh, this going back past the. Um, the uh, two season mark. Okay. Let's do this. When we t- we'll take a break. When we come back, let's talk a little bit about how Carlos later got really entrenched with the Medellin cartel, how he revolutionized transportation of cocaine, how it all went wrong, and how eventually he ended up uh, becoming a bodyguard of sorts for, um, for Pablo Escobar how he actually fell ill and then became a bodyguard and how he ended up becoming someone on the run from the Medellin cartel, how it all went wrong at the end. Uh, we'll do that when we come back. Uh, the name of the book is Crazy Charlie. The name of the show is Paraiso Blanco. And we'll tell you how to, we have, we have links to both in the description of this program so that you can uh, get a hold of both and be able to check out both. Uh, we encourage you to, uh, Actually, read Crazy Charlie and check out the program, Paraiso Blanco, uh, as they're both fascinating folks. Our guest is Ron Shepsuk. We will talk more about Carlos later when we return right here on The Best in True Crime Podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. Welcome back to The Best in True Crime Podcasting. This is True Crime Tuesday. I'm your host, Tim Dennis. Our guest is author, researcher, and well, now uh, I would guess series creator Ron Shepsuk, and we're talking about Paraiso Blanco, which is on the VIX network. Uh, you can get it on the VIX app, the actual program, Paraiso Blanco. It's uh, real simple. If you have Apple TV, you can actually find the VIX app on Apple TV or in the Apple Store. I know that's how I got it. You can also get it throughout, uh, I believe Google Play has it, uh, other 
other outlets also have the VIX app. Just look for VIX, the VIX app, and you'll be able to get uh, Paraiso Blanco. We'll have a link in the description of this program. Also, Crazy Charlie is the name of the book. We'll have a link to that as well in the description of this program. So, Ron, we're talking about Carlos later and his ties to the Medellin cartel. Obviously, we've gone past the point now where Carlos is just not stealing cars anymore. He's gotten into the drug trade. You started by saying he'd started by smoking a whole lot of marijuana and getting a little Uh crazy out there. He's gone past now dealing marijuana. How does he get into the cocaine trade? How does he get involved with cocaine itself? Well, like I said, in the early seventies, he was sent to prison in, in Danbury, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. And, uh, he, um, met George Jung, uh, and they became friends. Uh, he learned that George Jung had had shipped um, marijuana using planes uh, to uh, Southern California, and uh, that intrigued him. And he thought that uh, if they could do that for marijuana, which was really bulky, why not do it for cocaine? And the cocaine at that time was usually being transported by so-called mules, individuals that either ingested it or carried it or tried to smuggle it in in their suitcases or luggage or whatever, uh, that sort of stuff. And uh, so he decided he was going to be a cocaine uh, uh, dealer, and he he studied it. You know, he had notes. Uh, he talked with a bunch of uh, gangsters in prison, learned everything he could about the cocaine trade. And um, and uh, uh, he thought about what, what George had done with uh, the airplanes. He said, why can't uh, why can't that be done with uh, cocaine to the U.S.? And so he looked at the map and um uh, decided that uh, the Bahamas were a, a, a really good launching point uh, between the uh, U.S. and Colombia. It's about 210 miles from uh, Miami, um, and uh, it's centrally located between the two. And uh, he said that when he get out of prison, uh, they would eventually meet up and start this, uh, this uh, drug trafficking organization. And to get their first plane, he hired a couple of girls uh, as mules, and they smuggled in... Um, cocaine into the U.S. that gave them the money to buy their buy the first plane. And so they set up uh, a shop on on Nermis Cay, which is one of the islands of Bahamas. It had about 100 people on there, okay. but later used uh, intimidation tactics to to uh, to uh, chase off uh, off the people that lived on that island. He, uh, you know, he set up runways so the planes could land. Uh, he brought in some Germans. Um, bodyguards uh, to uh, protect the island, and he he uh, spread the money around on on the um, on the on, on the islands, and uh, he had the uh, the uh, government pretty well in his pocket, and uh, he began smuggling um, the uh, cocaine into the uh, into the U.S. And if if you were in the, if if you were around in the late 1970s early 80s, you notice there was a big cocaine epidemic in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that was essentially later's cocaine. And uh, it was becoming an epidemic because there was so much of it um, uh, uh, that that were that, were, that was uh, being consumed. And that was because of the shipping method that uh, later uh, devised. And so uh, he, uh, it was said that um, he had, every four kilos of cocaine, he would get, he would get paid with one of them. And, uh, you know, this is thousands of dollars. I mean, really thousands. And he became really extremely wealthy. Um, the U.S. became concerned um, and they put pressure on on the uh, on the uh, uh, Bahamian government uh, to get to 
uh, kick later out of the Bahamas. Mm -hmm. And finally, uh, he was under enormous pressure. He knew that DEA was going to move in on him. And he uh, closed shop on the islands. And about 1980, uh, 81, 82, he, he moved back to, uh, to Colombia, where he again set up a uh, shop. So he, there's, a, there's a certain time where, and, and I don't want to jump to the end of the story here, but he figures out that there's these different routes that he can take with these planes and eventually become one step ahead of the U.S. government. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, in those days, you know, there was no there was no real terrorism. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. So the, uh, the the safeguards on the borders were, were not that uh, entrenched as they are today. You know, you, you couldn't do what later did uh, back in the uh, late 70s, early 80s. Uh, you can do that today because there's too much protection. But planes would fly in uh, from from um, uh, Gay and they land in Georgia um, or um, Florida on some uh, remote runways. And then they'd have um, um, trucks there. Uh, they would uh, offload the uh, the cocaine onto these trucks. And then from there, they'd be shipped all over the United States. And uh, they were able to get away with this for like three or four years. And he, like I said, he made enormous amounts of money and caused a, a tremendous um, cocaine problem in the U.S. Now, you know, in, in most TV shows, we see things run like, you know, oh, they, they hit it in a bunch of bananas or they hit it in a bunch of coffee. Was he hiding it in something in order to get it well, into the country? They, they, had their, they had their ways, depending on what they were doing. Like you said, they, they'd, hide, they'd hide it in fruit. Mm -hmm. They'd hide it in concrete. I mean, uh, they'd hide it in fish. Okay. Uh, you know, it, the uh, amount of uh, creativity that goes into <laughs> being a top-level uh, drug trafficker is really, uh, really staggering and really impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're able to get away with uh, able to get away with it. And as soon as the uh, the authorities would catch on to a couple of methods, they did change the methods. And hmm. they're always staying one step ahead of the law. Unbelievable, uh, you know. It, and to think that you, you put that staggering figure out there that, that out of one every four kilos, he was getting paid off of. It, and yeah. you think of the the amount of cocaine that was on the street, and then. When you think that in the 80s, they were cooking it on top of just, I mean, crack came along in the 80s as well. So, you know, you were getting a cheaper form on top of the pure stuff that was out there. Um, it's staggering, the amount that was out there on the streets. Yeah, I mean, and later, uh, you know, his his fortune was was put at uh, close to $2 billion. That's, you know, and, uh, that's and some people say he still has got that money. <laughs> He still got that money. Um, oh, I don't think so. I think the government got most of it. Um, and um, but yeah, he he made incredible amounts of money. Well, you know, the Midian cartel is making so much money that they offered to pay off the uh, the uh, uh, the debt of the country of Colombia. They met with uh, representatives of the government, and we're talking about paying off the the debt of the Colombian government in return for amnesty. Isn't that something? Now, now I, I read that in the book, and I, I I shook my head. And, you know, if you're a government and you're sitting there thinking, well, it'd be real easy. It, it, it'd just be incredibly easy to go, okay, sure, why not? Yeah, but, they, but the United States would not allow for that. You know, they wouldn't do that. And the Colombian government uh, uh, reneged on that. You know, they, they, they had the meetings and um, and uh, they turned down the offer on that. But it goes to show you the, the power 
that the that the uh, uh, mini cartel had. But wasn't you know, the, that they could pay off the foreign debt of a country, which is quite remarkable. Wasn't the other part of that, though, Ron, that the Medellin cartel was to go straight if they paid off the, the debt yeah, of the country? Yeah, yeah. They, they would put money in, into uh, rehabilitation programs. Uh, they would get out of the drug trade and uh, essentially have amnesty on that. And so, it was a good deal for them. I mean, um, they made their money and no one's right. going to take away their money. They made billions. Um, you know, Escobar is one of the richest guys in the, in the world at that time. Okay. Uh, you know, he made the 500 list, right? The U.S. Forbes 500 list. Right. On that. And um, so, yeah, they're willing to do that. And, uh, and you know, like, um, they were intelligent. They knew that uh, eventually law enforcement would catch up with them. Yes. Yeah. And uh, nobody really escapes uh, the, the long arm of the law. Uh, uh, you could count the number of uh, people that got away with uh, – with criminal activity uh, in terms of drugs in on one hand, you know, um, everybody eventually gets caught. Right. And, right. Uh, and they knew that. And, uh, and the life was strenuous. They, they wanted to, and you know, they wanted to enjoy their, their, their uh, millions, mm -hmm. if not billions of dollars. So you would think it's a good deal all the way around, right? I mean, now, now don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not co-signing on this deal. Yeah, but you know they, they didn't really trust. You know, criminals are criminals, right? Right. And, uh, and uh, you know they could they could say that, but they, there's always a temptation to get back into the drug trade, mm -hmm. and uh, and that was one of the reasons that uh, they turned them down too. They didn't really really trust them. Sure. Uh, on that, and of course, the pressure from the U.S. government was the other one. Understandable, uh, but. In that, and follow me here, I'm just following this to a somewhat non-logical conclusion here, Ron. Right. Um, in that, Colombia is a sovereign country. And, and what right does the U.S. have to, to operate within a sovereign country's borders? Well, I mean, right? the, it, Colombia was causing the, 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 the drug trade. I mean, the, the, uh, the supply was coming from, uh, from Colombia. True. And uh, they depended on, on, um, on Colombians, on uh, U.S. support, uh, U.S. money. And, uh, of course, they had to consider the U.S., and the U.S. was not going to let the, uh, the cartels uh, off the hook. You know, they, they weren't going to let them. They weren't going to give them a, a get-out-of-jail card. But if all of a sudden the cartel says, we can give you enough money to make you turn your back on the U.S., what, you know, at that well, point. They did, but they didn't. Right, you know, but they didn't. They didn't. They turned it down, down the offer. Right, right, right. I, I'm just saying. I'm playing what if here with you, Ron. Yeah. But, but you know, at, at that point, it, you know, it's it's a it, it's 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 the reason why certain countries go down the wrong path. You know, there's there's the there's the allure of greed or the allure of you know what if I can turn my back on on certain allegiances and just say, hey, we can be independent on our own and we can operate over here and not have to worry about you know having to make certain allegiances and why not. Um, but that's that's where you see greed, and that's where you see other things take hold, and that's why you see corrupt governments. Yeah, um, it, it happens. It does yeah. happen. Um, but you had, you had to, uh, you know, I, I I knew Columbia. You know, I met. I, I started going to Columbia in 1987 mm -hmm. uh, when the height of the narco war was going on with Escobar and all that. I eventually married a, a Colombian, and um, you, you really couldn't understand the uh, the impact that the drug trade had on that country. Uh, you know, we talk about Iraq, you know, uh, after the fall of, uh, during the fall of Saddam and uh, the, the, the terrorism that was going on there. Col uh, Colombia was just as bad. You know, it was just as bad in terms of the deaths, in terms of um, the violence. 
in terms of the incredible destruction of of uh, of the country on that sort of stuff. So, um, you know, it it was really, really, really um, uh, difficult to uh, to deal with, and um, uh, but eventually they, you know, they uh, were able to turn the tide against uh, against Escobar. He made some strategic mistakes. He essentially pissed everybody off because mm-hmm. they couldn't trust him. You know, he killed some some uh, allies and, uh, and and pissed out the wrong people. And eventually the whole country was against him. And he was one man uh, going against the uh, the country. And it was a losing proposition for him. And, uh, you know, in 1992, he was uh, killed on a rooftop yeah. in Medellin. Yep. You know, which brings me to how did later survive this? Because there, there are. It seems well, like when, it's when interesting you, because he became a mi- like a minor figure mm-hmm. uh, after he came back from um, Nicaragua. He lost a lot of his power, and uh, essentially he was uh, struggling. And um, he uh, uh, reportedly uh, Escobar made him a bodyguard mm-hmm. on that. He sort of took uh, sympathy on him, uh, but he was really into a debauched lifestyle, you know, he, or, with orgies, with uh, uh, drug parties. And he became um, really uh, um, consumed with uh, with drugs. And um, uh, there was an incident uh, where uh, the one of the radio stations in Colombia uh, interviewed him uh, down by the uh, down down near the Amazon River. And uh, he was sitting in the middle of the jungle with <laughs> on a on a chair and uh, they're interviewing him and he was ranting about the u.s uh how he was going to destroy it uh ranting about the jews you know there was no holocaust on uh, that sort of stuff and um and i think that this uh was televised nationally i eventually met the reporter did the interview and oh. she was describing to me it was really amazing mm-hmm. and um uh it was shown on television and of course escobar saw it and um and I think he was really upset because uh, it brought a lot of publicity onto them, onto the Midian cartel. They mm-hmm. were trying to keep a, a lower profile. And um, eventually, I think he said, he, I, I think that there's truth to the story that he set up um, um, later uh, mm-hmm. to be arrested and to be brought back to uh, the United States for uh, for trial. So later, essentially, by making himself... Uh, by putting himself out there, makes himself safe. Is that what you're saying? I mean, he, by by doing this interview and by putting himself out there and by, I don't want to say by exposing the cartel, but he, he sets up the dominoes to be tipped over one by one? No, uh, I, I think that the, the publicity that, uh, that uh, was, was being um, shot on uh, the uh, Medellin cartel was unwanted by the cartel didn't like later ranting and raving about uh, nonsense and uh they felt that he was a liability to the to the uh the organization and he wasn't really that that powerful at that time he his power had slipped mm-hmm. and uh you know there was rumors that that the escobar um you know set him up to be arrested you know the, he tipped off the authorities where later was uh, was hiding and uh they swooped in took him off. It was something like five hours after his arrest, he was on a plane, uh, a DEA plane back to the U.S. Uh, and then uh, 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 brought to Jacksonville where he was thrown in jail and um, awaiting trial. Now, at that point, he starts to sing a little bit as to how operations are done, correct? 
Well, he didn't really uh, the, the the actual trial where he was um, was convicted. Uh, he didn't really really talk, but he spent a couple of years in jail. He was sentenced in uh, 1988, mm-hmm. uh, like uh, life life plus 155 years Jeez. in prison. And then um, after the U.S. Uh, went into Panama in 1989 um, and uh, literally kidnapped uh, Noriega, mm-hmm. uh, brought him back to the U.S. for trial. And then he was eventually for trial in 91, 92. The government, the U.S. government thought that um, Later's testimony against Noriega would, uh, would, would be important. And uh, they worked out a deal uh, for a reduced sentence. Uh, they said they would cut his sentence. They didn't really say what it was going to be, but later anticipated it would be 30 years which meant that he could get out um, uh, a lot sooner than, than than he was expected to get out on that. And then um, uh, he testified against uh, Noriega. Uh, Noriega was sentenced, and um, uh, uh, he was given 50, his sentence was cut to 55 years rather than the 30 years he wanted. So he felt he was betrayed, mm-hmm. uh, and he wrote a letter to the judge, uh, a scathing letter uh, attacking the system, saying that, uh, you know, he was double-crossed and all that. Uh, the uh, U.S. government took that as a threat on the judiciary, which is kind of interesting now that we have Donald Trump <laughs> doing this essentially the same thing. And um, and uh, they they took him out of his um, jail cell in Arizona, where he was being incarcerated, and whisked him away, and he disappeared. You know, nobody knew what happened to him. And... Uh, what he happened was he was put in the WITSEC program, which is the uh, um, uh, program for uh, 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 snitches and uh, informants uh, uh, and uh, within the prison system on okay. that. And uh, for years, we didn't know what happened to him. And then um, uh, he showed up uh, in 2006. He sued the U.S. government, said that uh, they had reneged on his deal that he had worked out. Uh, regarding uh, him being sent to Germany uh, for his, uh, you know, testimony uh, on Noriega and all that. And then, uh, uh, you know, the rumors were circulating. There was uh, a rumor that he was uh, working for the CIA, which is kind of crazy because, uh, you know, he was out of the drug trade from uh, uh, 88 on. Mm -hmm. So what what would he know about the drug trade that could help uh, the CIA, whatever, right? And uh, I got I got calls from people that want that want that believe that, and they, and they wanted me to verify it, uh, which is crazy. And uh, you know, I told them that uh, there was no truth to that, um, on that. And then um, he he um, he uh, ended up um, uh, suing the government. You know, he showed up again. His lawyer showed up in court in about 2008. He sued. He's suing the government, and uh, nothing happened. There was a report in 2016 where the Colombian government said that they were considering taking later um, from prison and all that, but there was sort of like a really isolated report. And then all of a sudden, uh, he, you know, he was released uh, in June of uh, 2020 and on his way back to Germany. So what would have happened, Ron, if, if Colombia would have got a hold of him? I mean, do they just put him back in a jail cell and let him rot? Well, the, the 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 expectation was that he would be, but would be released. You know, I don't know on a house care or whatever. Okay. But the Colombian government didn't want him. I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, he was a you know unpredictable, a loose cannon really, and right. uh, and you know with his history, um, and um, 
uh, I'm sure later had enemies. You remember what happened to Griselda Blanco when she was released? She was killed within a year, uh, you know, uh, by assassin. Yeah. And that, and, um, you know, uh, I don't know if later wanted to go back to Columbia, really, because I think it had been a dangerous situation for him. Well, I think on his insistence that he go to Germany, there's no way he would have wanted to go to Columbia. Yeah, yeah. He wanted to go to Germany because uh, he thought that was the best option right? Um, option for him. Yeah. I mean, he stays alive that way. I, yeah. I, I've got to think there was enemies in, in Colombia. There's there's just no way. That, that, oh, yeah, you know. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure he had. Although, you know, he, he was, uh, it'd be very hard-pressed to find uh, find examples where he killed somebody. Yeah. You know, um, there's one example in uh, Kings of Cocaine, the book, by Jeff Lane and Guy Gugliotta, where they described that um, later was at a party at Escobar's where, um, um, uh, and of course, uh, he was suspected of being a, a homosexual, bisexual, mm-hmm. and uh, he, and uh, he put this uh, make on this uh, um, one of Escobar's um, men, and uh, the guy re- uh, repulsed it, and, um, and later ended up shooting him. I don't know how true that is, but mm-hmm. uh, outside of that, it was overt examples like there's plenty of overt examples for uh escobar i mean you know killing people but uh later it's hard pressed trying to find somebody that uh, that he actually murdered i i've got to think that there's 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 plenty of enemies whether they be past present or or otherwise of the medellin cartel that that are probably still on the lookout somewhat for him although he's an old man um you know that they they're just wanting to tie up loose ends if if he were to go back to Colombia, yeah, I would suspect that that could be the case. Although we although we'll never never know for sure. They kind of make a. I don't want to say that they allude to it in in Paraiso Blanco, but he's kind of watching over his shoulder as they're in the airport in that first that first uh, episode. You know, he's you know as he's kind of seeing his younger self in the in the airport. He kind of has. Yeah, you're, that, ta- you're talking about when he when. Um, uh, the scene when he's released from prison and uh, yes. put on the plane. Yes, yeah. The, he kind of has that little paranoid look to him, like he's looking over his shoulder and, you know, uh, although he's looking at himself as a younger person. Yeah, yeah. Uh, He, he kind of yeah. has that look, like, you know, he doesn't know what to expect or he may be looking right. over his shoulder at somebody who might be trying to get him. Um, well, they, uh, yeah, he was sort of like, well, he was, he was be, being released after 33 years, so... Mm-hmm you could expect him to be a little paranoid about and, and uncertain of his surroundings on that. But, um, interesting. Uh, do you notice what was on his, on his lap? Um, in the opening scene, um, he's in the jail cell and the, and the guard comes and says, uh, come on later. Uh, uh, you're getting out of here. And if you look on his lap, there was my book. <laughs> oh, <laughs> on that, okay. Yeah, on that. And then when you go into the third scene, uh, or the fourth scene, uh, he's on a plane, um, and he's, uh, I don't know where he's going, but it's, it would seem like Germany. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's on the talking to uh, the woman beside him, and I assume it was his daughter. Yes, yeah. And uh, you look on his lap, and there's my book again. <laughs> oh, look at that! See, <laughs> yeah. And like you said, they gave me prominence in the uh, opening of every every um, yeah every episode. every episode starts off with acknowledging that it's, it's based on my book. Yeah, which is really cool. I mean, your your yeah, name's yeah. They light. did a good job. I mean, yeah. I had yeah. no complaints. No, not at all. Not at all. I, I thought that was really cool. That I mean, yeah. normally, you know, I, the, the only time I've ever seen that kind of treatment is uh, is uh, is uh, uh, Jerry Siegel and, and uh, you know uh, uh, the creators of Superman. <laughs> That's oh, the only, yeah, yeah. The only yeah, time. Yeah, or, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, or or Stan Lee when it comes to uh, Marvel. So I mean, yeah. you know, 
So you're in, you're in a rare air there, Ron. Yeah, and you know, and how many authors get get um, movies made out of their books? So there you go. Yeah, I, I'm very happy with with that, and I'm hoping that uh, this will lead to some of my other books uh, being optioned. Um, I've got another one that um, is very close to being op- optioned, and uh, it'll be a really huge project. But uh, I can't really say anything about it right now. Oh, all right. Well, the uh, the projects are out there right now. Uh, Crazy Charlie, the book, we've got a link to it in the description of this this program. We want you to go out and uh, read that book. And then check out Parizo Blanco. It's on VIX right now. Uh, again, you can check out the app, uh, whether you get it through Apple, whether you get it through Google Play, wherever you get it through. Uh, check out the series. You can stream the first uh, 15 episodes right now. As, as Ron pointed out, uh, that second round of 15 episodes should be coming out soon, right, Ron? Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure when when they, uh, um, and that's really uh, really a private conversation because uh, I was checking the uh, internet and and there's really no uh, evidence that they that the public knows that there's another 15 episodes. Oh, okay. You know, you know, right. which they talk, which should be pretty obvious because you just deal with half of the story. Right, right. You know, and uh, but anyway, yeah. So, but I know that because I, I've been dealing with the uh, with the production, um, the producers, and all that. Okay, well, we'll keep an eye out for that second 15. Uh, yeah. But, yeah, the first 15 are out there right now and, and available for you to watch. And uh, don't be like me. Be sure to, to set the English subtitle so you be, you'll, <laughs> you'll be able to figure out what's going yeah. on. Unless you're, you're pro- prolific, what's the word? You're, well, you're efficient as far as Spanish goes. Uh, yeah, my, but this is, uh, VIX is supposed to be the, uh, the biggest uh, Spanish language uh, streaming service in the world. Oh, there it's you go. Mexi- it's out of Mexico. And and the production was done by Caracol, which is in Colombia. Mm-hmm. So it's, it was interesting. It's well, I'll tell you this much: it's very easy to follow. It's uh, it's it, it looks amazing. It's shot really well. It's it yeah. it, it looks for all intents and purposes. It, it looks like an American, uh, like an American miniseries. So yeah, 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 it, yeah. I'm happy with it. Yeah, it's very well done. So uh, check it out. Parizo Blanco is on VIX. We'll have a link to that in the description of this program as well. Ron, I want to thank you so much for joining us again. Well, it's was, it was really a pleasure to be on your show. It's a great show, and, and thank you for inviting me. All right. Thank you so much, my friend. Folks, it's time for us to lighten things up a bit. It's time now to bring in Mally Fox, and it's time for Dumb Crimes and Stupid Criminals. It's, it's Crayon News Storytime. What happened with this dude, Christbearer? I heard he uh, cut his penis off and then jumped off a balcony. Suspect pulls gun from butt, shoots twice at Denver police. What is your emergency? I don't know. And what's the problem? I'm too high. You're too high? Yeah. It's that time again, the time you've all been looking forward to. It's time now for Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. It just so happens that one of our co-hosts is off in New Orleans. So we bring in the co-hostess, the co-hostess with the mostest. It's Miss Mally Fox. Hi, Mally. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? Very good. Very good. Uh, we are uh, fresh off the heels of Michigan Paracon. Yes. So uh, it, it's good to see you once again. Actually, this time uh, via Skype and not via uh, in person. But uh, but we're we're together none nonetheless. I know. Yeah, yeah. Good times. I figured we'd start off today's dumb crime, stupid criminals with a travel joke, um, being that you know uh, we just got fresh off the uh, 
the heels of traveling. You not so much by plane, but me by plane. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it's, this isn't necessarily a crime, but it is a crime against humanity. So I figured I'd start off with one of those. Okay. Yeah. Uh, although I had a reasonably good travel experience, unfortunately, half the people who went to Michigan Paracon didn't have that good of a travel experience. Yeah. It was the weather. It was. The weather was horrible to a lot of the people who traveled uh, to Michigan uh, Paracon. Uh, lots of storms and, and... Yep, tornadoes, flooding. Yeah. Like, you couldn't even get to the Mac- McNamara Air uh, Terminal. Yeah. So it was all flooded. The tunnel was flooded. So, I mean, thank goodness I left the day before and came home to just some branches in my yard and my porch looking like a tornado hit it. Huh. Oh, wow. But, yeah, it was pretty bad. But other than that, though, I mean, I was very lucky. But yeah, the weather just sucked for people trying to land or leave uh, Detroit area. Yeah, not not good at all. I took uh-uh. a direct flight from Minneapolis. So it was nice for me. <laughs> oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. You didn't have a layover anywhere? No, no, direct Ooh, flight. Nice. Yeah. yeah, just came right in. And it was beautiful weather. Mm-hmm. Actually, it was it was amazing weather because we were we were in the middle of a heat wave here in Minneapolis, and then mm. we touched down in in beautiful Sault Ste. Marie, and it's a beautiful sixty five degrees. I got off the plane and I just about threw off all my clothes and ran down the street. It was <laughs> I know it wouldn't have been great for anybody else, um, <laughs> but for me it would have been lovely. It was so nice. It, mm-hmm. it just uh, I hate hot weather with a passion. And so when I got off the plane, it was like 65. I was like, oh, this is so beautiful. Yeah, no, it was gorgeous up there. The weather mm-hmm. was lovely. It felt like fall was coming. It was mm-hmm. perfect. And I sold a ton of my sweatshirts because it was chilly and people thought it was going to be a lot warmer. Yeah. So I was very happy with that. Yeah, I I, I got I got off the plane and I went, <gasps> I packed uh, one pair of pants. I, I had shorts with me the entire time, uh, but mm-hmm. we were inside the entire time. So it wasn't like, you know, I mean, it's climate controlled. It's not like, you know, I'm, I'm going to freeze to death inside. But uh, but I packed shorts thinking, you know, it's it's 90 some degrees in Minneapolis. I'm not thinking Sault Ste. Marie weather, but I, I have to r- remind myself every year at Michigan Paracon, it's a lot cooler in Sault Ste. Marie than it is in, in Minneapolis. Yeah. 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 So but it's so beautiful up there. Oh, it is. It's it's amazing. And and amazing weather yet again uh, mm-hmm. this this past year, except for if you were in Detroit. Not amazing weather. Right, right. Exactly. And right. a great event. Yes. A wonderful a event. Fun. And and again, I, I stated this online, I'll state it here. Uh the organizers of Michigan Paracon were amazing. They they did the mm-hmm. most amazing job in the face of adversity. Um, I I don't think I've ever seen such a wonderful job done in the face of adversity ever in my life. Um, they really pulled it together, and the fact that they had I, I can't tell you how many speakers were stranded in Detroit, uh, even a couple days into the the event, and right. and still managed to pull off a wonderful event. All the meanwhile, trying to get them to Sault Ste. Marie and, and get the event uh, going, but managed to do it and, and still pull off a wonderful event. So mm-hmm. they, my, my, I tip my cap to them uh, numerous times because uh, Brad, Tim, uh, Tara, and the entire team at Upers did an amazing job with uh, Michigan yes. Paracon. So mm-hmm. um, with that... I, I have this story to start us off, Mally. Okay. <laughs> this roundabout way of, of starting off this story. Uh, just when you think uh, the shit hit the fan, it definitely did for Delta. Okay. 
as a Delta flight was forced into emergency landing by a passenger's diarrhea. Oh. Yeah, yeah. So there you go. These shit literally hit the fan on a Delta flight saying this is a biohazard. That was the quote from Delta. Uh, it was a crappy situation. That uh, That is how this story starts out. There, you need your little drum thing there. Oh, so yes. Don't, don't. That right situation. there. Yeah. A crappy situation. There you go. There we go. There you go. Uh, a Delta flight from Atlanta to Barcelona. How would you like to be caught from Atlanta to Spain? <laughs> that is a long trip to be smelling that stuff. <laughs> yes, it is. And and this wasn't just, you know, somebody filled up the filled up the toilet, Mally. Uh-huh. This, Was it in their seat? Oh, this spread, Mal. Well, I'm <gasps> about to I'm about to tell you how bad this was that they had to turn the plane around. Oh, God. You ready for this? I would have been gagging the whole way. I have a really bad gag reflex. Can you imagine? Oh. I mean, you know, it's not like we're not in the era of COVID where you could, you know, hide yourself under your N95 or anything like that, you know. Uh, A Delta flight from Atlanta to Barcelona was forced to turn around and make an emergency landing after a passenger had diarrhea all the way through the plane. That's in quotes. Oh, all the way through. Wait, all the way through. So was it like going down their leg as they walked down the aisle? Mm-hmm. Kind of like those marathon runners. Have you ever seen those where mm-hmm. they just take a crap and it's all on the backside of their legs? Mm-hmm. Oh, nasty. You know how the, you know, when, when you, you get the triathletes and they're like, well, if you got to go, you got to go and you got to go right. right now. Yep. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Oh. The Airbus A350 aircraft was two hours into a transatlantic flight from Georgia to Spain on Friday when the pilot asked to come back because of the fecal fiasco, which, by the way, is the name of our new group, Fecal Fiasco. (laughs) Yeah. Perfect. It's kind of got that alliterative uh, twang to it. Uh Fecal fiasco. This is a biohazard issue, the pilot said to air traffic control recorded at liveatc.com. You can actually listen to it online. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) And was shared to X, otherwise known as Twitter. Uh, We've had a passenger who's had diarrhea all the way through the airplane, so they want us to come back to Atlanta. You know what? Shame on that passenger, because obviously if they have it going through the plane, that means they've had it before they got on the plane, and shame on them. They should have just been like, you know what? I need to rebook. You're right. I mean, A, that's embarrassing. But B, what are you doing to the other passengers around you? I mean, come on. And who wants to be stuck on a six, seven hour flight when you've got diarrhea? Right. Because that means that you're going to spend multiple trips going back and forth. Right. And that's a small space. I mean, that's not. Yeah. And And then you're subjecting all those other passengers to your. Let's just say follower. And you can't light a match in the bathroom to try and disguise the smell. Right. And it's not like they make little mini Febreze. Well, they do make mini Febrezes, but I mean, you know, that's more for your clothes. You're not supposed to. Yeah. Although I have a hard time going in those bathrooms on planes because I always have the fear of getting locked in one. Oh, right. Right. So I just I try not to go to the bathroom if I can help it. Well, that's true. Yeah. And, and and I think those bathrooms are more built for the number one, not the number two, right? Right. Yeah. 
it's more of a, an emergency, you know, if you got to go, let's let's keep her to the water, not to the, the sand right. type and situation. And people on the plane know that it's you in that bathroom because they'll start seeing a line. You can't hide it. You can't just like yes. yeah. casually go into the bathroom and go. People are going to know because there's usually a line forming when you're in there. Right. Oh, yes. That's the. the you know what I mean? There's the, never you never get out of the bathroom and there's no one standing there waiting. Right. It's the karmic response. And the worse it is, the longer the line. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. And if there, yeah, if there's issues. Everyone knows you're having issues. There is a, um, there is a spray out there though now that you put in the toilet. Have you seen this? Yeah, it's those. It's like the potpourri, but it's called poopery. You spray it in the toilet and then you go. Right, and, and there's a there's an off brand. I think it's made by. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember the. Well, the they don't pay for advertising here, but it's. It's a, yeah, it's like poopery, but you you spray it in the bowl and then, you know, you do your business and it covers it up with a nice scent. Um, But, uh, but there's like a VIP, I think it's called too. Um, Okay. It's like poopery. It's the same deal. Right. Um, but it doesn't work in airline toilets because it's got the chemical deal. Oh. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So I don't know that would have helped uh, shitty McGee here on on the uh, right on the airplane. Uh, the identity of the passenger remains a mystery, not to the people on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, they're probably somewhere on TikTok. Like someone recorded them coming out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but so the so so the people on the plane they know who it is. To us, you know, they they didn't release the manifesto off the plane. Obviously. Um, so we don't know who it is, uh, but the passengers and the crew were transferred and flight DL-194 finally made it to Barcelona at 5.10 p.m. the next day, eight hours later than scheduled. How pissed off would you be, Mally, had you landed eight hours later because of the serial shitter? You know what? I would rather be getting on a different plane than having to deal eight hours with the smell of, you know, yeah. feces. yeah. So, I mean, I can deal with with being late eight hours if I didn't have like a connecting flight or whatever. But I think I would have thrown up had I had that smell for so many hours. Like I can't even handle a kid's diaper. So it's probably good I don't have kids. Oh, that's probably. But I mean, you know what I mean? I gag my dogs when I got to pick up stuff, which I do. I'm a very good dog walker. But like that stuff makes me gag, too. I just. Yeah. Uh, I'm starting to gag right now thinking about it. (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, Uh, my God. It's it is not. It, it, it is not known if the passenger who had the diarrhea problem was aboard the plane when it touched down in Spain. So the... I would hope not, because that defeats the purpose. Well, it kind of does, unless they, you know, someone put a plug in it. I don't know. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> That's some, what is it, Imodium? Yeah, yeah. Is that what you're supposed to take when you have stomach issues? Well, either that or literally put a plug in it. <laughs> uh, an alleged FAA flight strip was posted on Reddit, which appeared to confirm the situation involved biohazard all over the plane. So, yes, it did get on the floor. Oh, God. Yeah, oh, no, right? so bad. Mm-hmm. So how would, bad. How would you like to be one of the cleaning crew, by the way? Oh, my God. Well, did you hear it was like a like a couple months back, a guy, I think he went to put something underneath his chair or something, and there was like the floor was saturated with blood. Oh. Yeah. And that was a biohazard. And I don't remember what happened, but I just remember being grossed out by hearing that, that the floor was just covered oh, in God. blood. 
That couldn't have been a good situation. Uh-uh. Uh, cleaning crews were able to scrub down the aircraft once it landed in Atlanta since flight records show it was used for another flight. That's right. They used oh the plane. Oh, my God. Just throw the plane away. <laughs> Just find the nearest It's dumpster. not like you can open up the windows and air it out. Right. Just throw the plane away. Just get rid of it. I, they have another one at the airport, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> they got quite a few. But yeah. seriously, how are you supposed to get the ventilation going in there? I don't know. With the recycled air, the windows don't open up. You only have the door that opens, and that goes into the little gateway area. Mm-hmm. 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 Oh, God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Delta officials confirmed there was a medical issue as they put it on the plane, and it had to be redirected to Atlanta to be cleaned. The company, however, did not elaborate on the medical reason. Our teams worked as quickly and safely as possible to thoroughly clean the airplane and get our customers to their final destination. A Delta spokesperson said, We sincerely apologize to our customers for the delay and inconvenience to their travel plans. Delta passengers had a rough week in the air. Another flight en route to Milan, Italy, had to be redirected to the Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport, evidently the center of all shitty activity, uh, on August 29th when it hit severe turbulence, injuring 11 passengers. Dang. Yeah. Now, I've been on a flight where the guy in front of me had really bad gas. Oh. And that was awful. That was an international flight, and I was dying. Oh, my gosh. That's horrible. Yeah. Horrible. I'll take a fart over a diarrhea (laughs) incident any day. (laughs) Yeah, at least you can turn the jets up on your. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Gotta blow it. Somebody else turned it, blow it his way. Yeah, blow it back out. Oh, yeah, exactly. Oh, poor person, though. I hope they're okay. Oh, you hope. Yeah, I don't know. Uh,. I, this next story, I, I don't know what to think uh, of this. Of this, a man's life is saved only to be shot by police a little bit later. Um, <laughs> sometimes a stupid criminal can be that stupid that he gets himself killed yet again. Um, mm-hmm. So the man is saved by Longview Police in Seattle um, after he's revived with Narcan. Okay. So he ODs, he's revived uh-huh. with the Narcan Mally, and then uh, he fires a ghost gun at the police, and they kill him. <laughs> yeah, but was it an accidental overdose for the to be revived by Narcan, or was that like a suicide attempt? Well, we're about to find out, Mel. Here we go. Uh, police shot and killed a 30-year-old Seattle man last Saturday after he fled from police officers in Longview after paramedics revived the man with Narcan. Lewis Johnson Jr. was killed following a car chase that ended in gunfire, according to the Cowlitz County Sheriff's Office. That uh, They released that press release on Sunday. Uh, Cowlitz 911 dispatchers received reports around 2 p.m. of a man passed out in the car in the Minami Teriyaki drive through Wow, that's a place to pass out. At uh, 1208 15th Avenue, restaurant staff were not able to wake him when he passed out there. Paramedics arrived and used naloxone on the man, which is Narcan, who woke up and became aggressive after that, the sheriff's office said. He allegedly threatened medical personnel and then left the scene in an orange Dodge Challenger showing signs of impairment. So evidently he took off in the General Lee. <laughs> 
Uh, officers responded and found a car matching the description near 15th Avenue and Hudson Street. Police tried to stop the car driven by Johnson. He allegedly read, or ran rather a red light and sped off, slamming on his brakes and at one point driving in reverse to escape. <laughs> All of a sudden he found the will to live. I guess. <laughs> he went from being very, very sleepy to very, very awake. Uh, police blocked Johnson near 19th Avenue and Florida Street, where he allegedly pulled out a pistol and started shooting at the officers. Three Longview police officers fired back, hitting and killing Johnson. No officers were harmed in the exchange. Investigators recovered a 9mm pistol with no serial number. Law enforcement mm. said it was... a. Try that again. Law enforcement said it was an illegally manufactured ghost gun. The Lower Columbia Major Crimes Team is investigating the shooting. The officers involved in the shooting have not been identified. So, Mal, <laughs> uh, you, you, you nearly die in the drive-thru of a teriyaki restaurant. Uh-huh. You're revived. You've got new life and all of a sudden decide, F this, I'm going for a quick drive. <laughs> Yeah, I think the higher powers was like, not today. Yep. <laughs> you're, you're still going to die. Should have stayed down. Yeah, um, exactly. When hmm. it's your time, it is your time. I guess so, huh? I don't, uh, I don't see the, uh, I don't see the logic in that. I think if I get away with one, I'm staying, I'm staying up. Right. It, yeah. Well, it just sounds like he wasn't a very good guy. Yeah. Doesn't sound like it, does it? Mm-mm. Let's move on. We're going here to Minnesota. 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 Where a woman is sentenced to shooting her friend in the mouth because she didn't want her in her life. Oh. Haven't we all had friends like that? <laughs> I have friends that talk too much, but I wouldn't shoot them. <laughs> no, no, no. In the mouth. I'm just talking about maybe friends that are a little narcissistic like that. Um, which one? <laughs> wow, which one? You're getting, wow, you're getting <laughs> focused on that one, aren't you? Uh, uh, we go to St. Cloud, Minnesota, the home of KNSI Radio. Just have to, just have to get, yeah, my, a little plug. get my little plug in because I'll be up there on Saturday. I don't know if you want to have it associated with this story, but okay. <laughs> sure my boss bob will love that one uh a judge has sentenced a woman to 25 years in prison for fatally shooting her friend in the mouth and promoting prostitution while she was in jail oh (laughs) (laughs) wow uh the stearns county district attorney's office announced on august 24th that angela renee jones was given 300 months In case you can't divide that by 12 real quick, that's 25 years in prison for the shooting death of Janissa Harris. 146 months for evading, or rather for aiding an offender after the fact, and 131 months for promotion of prostitution, all of which will be served concurrently. So no reason to try to add all that up, Mal. You can, Mm -hmm. yeah. Uh, Jones pleaded guilty to the charges on June 9th. Jones was initially indicted on uh, December of 2021 for first-degree premeditated murder and second-degree intentional murder. According to the district attorney's office, on the evening of June 1st and into the early hours of June 2nd, 2021, Jones went to Janissa Harris's apartment. The two had a prior relationship, and the statement says Harris also cared for Jones and her children. Jones reportedly told Harris she did not want Ms. Harris to be around her 
or in her life. That's pretty specific. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, during their argument, Jones shot Harris in the mouth, and Harris died in her apartment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a pretty permanent ending. Yeah. That's uh, a lot of anger. That's a lot of anger. Yeah. Yeah. That's for sure. Uh, on September 3rd, 2021, at around 9.30 a.m., St. Cloud Police responded to a report of an unconscious person in the street and found a deceased adult female. The body was later identified as 25-year-old, I believe it's Kesa Marie Lang, and the medical examiner's office determined she died from a gunshot wound. One of Jones's co-defendants, Deontay Davis, was charged and convicted of killing Lang. He was sentenced to life in prison without parole. The Stearns County District Attorney's Office said Jones played a role in Lang's death, as did another woman who allegedly drove Davis, Jones, and Lang before Lang was fatally shot and left on the side of the road. While in jail, Jones reportedly also coordinated an arrangement where a fellow inmate would exchange sex for money with Jones's husband. Oh, jeez. Sounds like a fine, upstanding young cadre of young people. Uh-huh. She's a winner. <laughs> That's one way of putting it, Mel. <laughs> you use big words. I do, <laughs> she's, yes. She's a winner. She's a winner. Yeah, that's, that's how we put it in Minnesota. Yeah. She's a winner, you know. Yeah. Don't bring her home to your mom. <laughs> nope. Nor don't bring her down to the Legion for a, a fish dinner, you know. Yeah. Yeah. We don't take them down there, you know. That, that's just how they do it in St. Cloud. I don't know. <laughs> just saying. Yep. Home of KNSI Radio. <laughs> I got nothing. Yeah. We'll move on. Uh, I believe this is a Louisiana woman is accused of stabbing her grandfather in the face during an argument over her hygiene habits. Oh, God. I have to ask you, Mally, how many arguments have you had with your grandparents and did you ever stab them in the face? I have not had one argument with my grandparents because I was afraid of them. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, there was they were southern, very they were, oh, they ran the family. Yeah. Yeah. So. I uh I think once I might have said something. I, I was very young. I said something to my grandpa Dennis and he promptly swatted me on the behind many times and I didn't say a crossword to him uh since. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I didn't tell my grandfather that I was getting divorced. And my parents both said, don't tell grand- grandpa that you're getting divorced. And then he passed away, unfortunately. And then I went down to visit my grandmother after he passed. And I finally came clean. And she was like, oh, I didn't like him anyway. Oh. <laughs> he was crazy. Oh. Like she, <laughs> I just supported. He wasn't crazy, but I just supported that. Like, yeah. okay, grandma. Yep, yep. But yeah, because they were old school. Yeah. Southern Baptist, you don't get divorced. You don't, you know, right. air your dirty laundry, all that stuff. They... Yeah, they were the patriarch and the matriarch of the family, and you just, I don't know. You kind of said that a little Southern. Patriarch oh, did and I? matriarch of the family. <laughs> well, they were Kentucky. <laughs> uh, do, do you feel like maybe in retrospect now, maybe you could have told Grandpa? Uh, no. No, okay, all right. I figured I'd ask. <laughs> I mean, it doesn't hurt to ask, you know, because hindsight's twenty twenty, and you never know. Maybe, maybe Grandpa would have said, "Oh, he's crazy." I, I'm glad I'm you like, did that. Mm, no, 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 no. He still would have. No, said. I love him. I well, you know, I loved him. Yeah, still do. But yeah. he was just very, 
you, yeah, you yeah. just had to watch your P's and Q's and sure. act like a lady and all that stuff. So right. the things that come out of my mouth now, he would not be happy with. Well, <laughs> and I'm not inviting him in to, to listen to any of it yeah. either. So, you know, I, yeah. I don't want to sully your reputation with grandpa. <laughs> That's okay. My grandmother actually became more relaxed, though, when he passed away. Really? Mm-hmm. Just a little bit, but yeah. My uh, my grandma became more relaxed around my grandpa in the in the later years and <laughs> basically told him to shut up a lot, uh, which was fun. That was fun to watch in their later years. Did that ever happen? Uh, did you did your grandma become more relaxed in the later years with grandpa? Uh, no, 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 no. But I've watched it with Derek's grandparents. Yeah, like his grandmother has no filter anymore. Yeah, she just she just says whatever she feels. Mm-hmm. And actually, it's kind of entertaining. And his and his other grandmother did that too. Like, I guess she never used to swear. Yeah. And then as she got older, she was a sailor. See, like her mouth. Yeah. 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 My uh, my grandmother uh, pretty much uh, told my grandfather towards the end of his life where the uh, where the bear would shit in the buckwheat. <clears throat> Just saying. <laughs> she uh, yeah, she let loose uh, towards the end of her life. She uh, she had no qualms. <laughs> maybe you just don't have maybe when you get older you just don't have patience anymore for bullshit i think that's what it is i think you nailed it there yeah because as i'm getting older yeah yeah i have less tolerant tolerance of people that's that's a good way of putting it it's a good way of putting it Mel. <laughs> yeah. so talk to me in five years I, i'm not even gonna wait 20 to hit the 70s i'm, I'm gonna get five so be in my 50s yeah yeah <laughs> Yeah, you'll, you'll probably, mid-50s, you'll probably start popping off on people. Yeah. I'm thinking it's what's going to happen, yeah. Well, I think this man probably could have started popping off on people earlier. Uh-huh. Or he he started popping off too early. Right. Uh, because his 22-year-old granddaughter uh, wasn't taking it. Mm. And wasn't taking it lying down. As a matter of fact, his 22-year-old granddaughter was arrested this week after she allegedly stabbed her grandfather in the face... Because they got into a fight over her hygiene habits. Maybe it was really bad hygiene. Like he had, there was a little truth to what he was saying. I think there probably was a lot of Cause truth. Because it sounds like there's a, there's a lot of anger <laughs> that she has. So <laughs> yeah. he might be speaking some truth. <laughs> she was a wee bit sensitive about it. Yeah, just a tiny yeah. bit. She's probably been told that before. Well, there's something to be said about a little bit of deodorant going a long way. Mm-hmm. Just saying. In a statement, the Caddo Parish Sheriff's Office said deputies responded to a residence on the 3900 block of Fountain Blue Road on August 29th due to a domestic dispute. Carrington Harris reportedly told investigators she and her grandparents started arguing because they asked her to shower. Oh, you know. Uh, mm. Yeah. Yeah. She must have been stinking if she hasn't showered. Yeah. After they requested Harris to wash herself, and not with a stick and a rag. Yeah. Yeah, she might have had some feminine issues. Yeah. She reportedly damaged the inside of the home and shut off the power. That took more energy than to just jump in the shower. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or even a bath. Yeah. Just all you have to do is just sit there. <laughs> right? <laughs> Put a little bubble bath in there, jump yeah, there in. Yeah, Splish, splash fall a off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let the crud fall off. Let the crud fall. That's right, Melly. Let the crud fall off. The water does the work. Mm-hmm. It's amazing how that works. Uh, her grandparents tried... 
<clears throat> tried to attempt to restrain her. But then Harris allegedly found a knife and stabbed her grandfather in the face. Ow. He was taken to a nearby hospital for treatment, and the sheriff's office did not have an update on his condition. Following the attack, Harris ran into the woods, of course, to be with her people. I don't mm -hmm. know. And hid for several hours until deputies found her near another home in the area. Harris was arrested on charges of domestic abuse battery and domestic abuse battery with a dangerous weapon. I, stabbing your grandparents in the face because you don't want to shower, bathe, clean yourself. That's a little extreme. Right. Yeah. I agree. Little and she must have been stinking if they're mentioning it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because, let's face it, when you get older, there's a few things that happen. One, you have problems regulating your temperature, mm -hmm. right? I mean, you like the house real hot, let's face it. Two, the sense of smell goes. Let's, <laughs> that's another thing that happens. You know, you always hear old people wheezing, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so if she was stinking, she was stinking. Right. Yeah. That's oh, could you imagine that cop car? Oh, oh, the poor cop, poor police officer. <laughs> oh. They have to, when you think about it, they've got to deal with a lot of stuff. People spitting on them, throwing up in the car, defecating, oh. urinating, all that stuff in the backseat of a cop car, and they got to clean it out. I think I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's horrible. But the odor linger. <laughs> the odor linger, you know that, that there's probably a lot of Febreze uh, hookups there in the in the vents <laughs> in the cop car. It's like from the movie Seven. Remember when they had all those pine trees like hanging yeah. from the ceiling because that dead guy was in bed. Yep, <laughs> it's mm -hmm. like that in the cop car. I'm sure. Oh man, man, oh man, chef. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> Just spray with the hose. <laughs> That's probably what happened the minute they got her into booking. They probably turned the hose on her. They're like, "You don't want to shower, huh? Hold on, we gotta we gotta care for yeah. that. You stink. Hold on to this bar of soap and hold on to that bar over there. We're gonna yeah. turn it loose. They're doing, they're doing like somersaults because the water pressure. They're, <laughs> they're going around like a pinwheel <laughs> against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> How many rotations, Charlie? We take yeah, bets. Exactly. <laughs> yep. <sighs> yep. Hmm. This next story, uh, Mally, is a uh, is kind of a happy uh, happy story about candy. Oh, we like candy. Oh, we do. We're big fans. We're big fans here. Uh, according to this, a sucker is busted for a lollipop battery at a family dollar store. You know, family mm. dollar stores are good places to get arrested. Just yeah, but I thought those aren't they like a dollar twenty five now? Isn't that what they say? Yeah, yeah, they've raised the prices even at the family dollar store. Even inflation mm. is is ruining the family dollar store. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of sad. Uh, confrontation at a family dollar store arrested, or rather, resulted in the arrest of an armed man. Records show. What did he use for his weapon? Well, it turns out it was a lollipop. <laughs> That's right, a lollipop. <laughs> He'd probably get better results if it was a banana. Ooh. Because you're not going to think a lollipop is a weapon. No, but the things you could do with a banana are well, kind of scary. Okay, that's a different show. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Dear God. But you know what I mean? Like, they always like, you know, in the pocket, banana. 
<laughs> that's that's if you're happy to see somebody Mally. yeah uh, a 24 year old dalton reed uh police say was in line waiting to check out at the convenience store in clearwater florida of course we're going to florida for this right yeah uh when he got into a verbal argument with store manager david jondro as the dispute escalated reed allegedly threw a lollipop at jondro <laughs> Oh, I thought he was using it as like a weapon weapon, like I've got a gun. No. Like no. pretending it was a gun. No, oh, he's just yeah. whipping it at somebody. He just whipped it at the, oh, the store okay. manager. Yeah. Uh, striking him in the chest. I don't know if you've ever taken a lollipop to the chest, but it it um, tickles. <laughs> I don't know. It tickles? Okay. <laughs> I can't imagine You're it hurt him. that I I don't even want to know about it. It tickles. Does a lolly like splat ball, right? Because it's a hard object being whipped at you. Would probably feel like a splat ball, right? Yeah, but no. I don't care if you you could throw as hard as a major league pitcher, and a lollipop isn't going to hurt, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um. So as the dispute escalated, Reed allegedly threw a lollipop at Jondro, striking him in the chest. Luckily, the lollipop lick did not cause bodily harm. It wouldn't. I don't care how hard you throw it. It wouldn't. It just wouldn't. Yeah. Right? Uh, Reed was arrested for simple battery because complicated battery would take too long. <laughs> it's one of those, Mal. <laughs> uh, cops tacked. It's a, it's a complicated joke. Mm-hmm. Uh, cops tacked on. Oh, so you're saying I don't have the intelligence to understand <laughs> no, 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 your no. joke? I'm just saying it would take too long to explain. Uh, oh, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> cops tacked on possession of drug paraphernalia charge when a post-arrest search reportedly turned up a crack pipe in one of Reed's pockets, which looked a lot like a lollipop. don't even like your own joke you're shaking your head <laughs> yeah i know it was a terrible joke uh no weapon was seized by clearwater police department officers except for the lollipop <laughs> reed remains in the county lockup where bond has been set at how much mel on the two misdemeanor charges oh let's say two thousand wow uh not quite oh More I more. Always, this is why i can't do <laughs> price is right I overbid. <laughs> That's okay, though. There's nothing wrong with overbidding because you can always come down from there. So <laughs> one more try. One more try. 500. Well, you're a little low there. $650. Okay. That's right. Hey, I still would have won because I didn't overbid because right. I was going to go for 1000 That's right. So you get to pick from either a year's supply of turtle wax or a year's supply of rice aroni. We'll do rice aroni. All right. It's the Thank San you. Francisco treat. <laughs> uh Reed has an extensive rap sheet with convictions for grand theft, DUI, narcotics possession, loitering and prowling, and retail theft. He he's he's uh, he doesn't stick to one category. No, he no. does not. Likes to spread his influence, so to speak. A judge has ordered Reed to stay away from the family dollar. And who could stay away, Mal? <laughs> who could stay away from the family dollar? <laughs> They're like, there's always like five in one city. Oh, yeah. That is one you always see everywhere. Yeah. They, that store. They got a lot going on over there at the Family Dollar. <laughs> Apparently. And he's to have no contact with John Doreau, uh, especially if he wants to throw lollipops at his chest. I'm just saying. Uh, here's a look at 
our uh, Mr. Reed, I, I don't know, Mal, would you let him throw lollipops at your chest? Oh, he's kind of cute. <laughs> That's what I said. If you, would you let him throw lollipops <laughs> at like your chest? If I was like 18, he's like a baby. Yeah, he is uh, kind of young. That's a good he? mugshot. See? It, I think he got that I like the I like the, lo- the loader. Wait, lo- how do you say it? Lottering, loadering, loadering, right? The what? How do you say it? The lo- loader, loadering. Loader? Wait, what? What are you trying to say? <laughs> the L-O-I-T-E-R-I-N-G. Oh, loitering. Loitering. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. I was missing a syllable. Loitering. Loitering. And prowling. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I was going to say, uh, would you let them throw lollipops at your chest? Yeah, let them do a lot more. Hey, hi. <laughs> Hi-o. There you go. See, there you go. Well. Work helps to work at the family dollar first, if you know what I mean. <laughs> I can read as well. <laughs> I got tied up on that word. On loitering? loitering? Loitering. Well, obviously, I don't know that word very well. I know what it is, but to say it. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. it's an acquired yeah. 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 It's like I say, when I say, now I'm going to over-dramatize it. When I say horror, it sounds like I'm saying whore, <laughs> but I'm like horror. <laughs> But then I sound funny when I'm like horror. Hey, I love a good horror film. Yeah. See, I make it one syllable. I think mm-hmm. it's my southern draw that comes out. Mm-hmm. So it always sounds like I'm saying horror, but what I'm really saying is horror. Mm-hmm. Er. Horror. So the loiter. Yeah. So the loitering. <laughs> loitering. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Word. <laughs> you know what I hate is a, a loitering horror. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like you're drunk yeah it does doesn't it sounds like i've had one too many mm-hmm. yeah. on our next story we go to florida mal okay uh an accused robber is uh, an accused robber under surveillance vanishes just boom out of nowhere yet he turns up again to rob another store ah sounds like a houdini mm-hmm. <laughs> that sounds like a joke too <laughs> Sounds like something you pay a guy to throw lollipops at your chest and pull a Houdini. I don't know. It sounds like something the woman from Minnesota paid that woman to do to her husband. St. <laughs> Cloud, home of KNSI, I've tied it all in. I don't know. I got nothing. A uh, robbery suspect under police surveillance managed to ditch undercover cops just long enough to rob another Florida store, according to the Pinellas County Sheriff's Office. It happened on Wednesday, August 30th in St. Petersburg, and the suspect was captured in a dramatic chase as Hurricane Idalia was impacting the area, that according to officials. Undercover detectives were conducting surveillance on 22-year-old Tyron Davis, uh, who was suspected of committing two armed robberies that occurred in St. Petersburg on August 26th and 28th. The undercover detectives lost contact with Davis and were then notified of a just-occurred armed robbery at the mobile station where the suspect matched the description of Davis. Detectives relocated Davis and attempted a traffic stop. However, the vehicle fled while Davis leaned out of the passenger window from the waist up and fired multiple rounds at the undercover detectives. Ooh. <laughs> He's a busy guy. Yeah. Uh, the two vehicles exchanged gunfire before Davis's vehicle crashed into a pole near the intersection of 10th Avenue South and 12th Street South. 
Davis was captured and found to be uninjured, officials said. A female had been driving the vehicle, but her identity and condition were not released. Eight to ten shots were fired at the pursuing police car, but the detective was not hit, according to officials. Two bullets were found lodged in the car. Davis is expected to face a series of charges, according to officials. It's a scary situation for everybody. Pinellas County Sheriff Bob, I believe this is Galtieri, said at a news conference, we're lucky that nobody else was hurt. Hurricane Idalia made landfall as a Category 3 storm at 7.45 a.m. on Wednesday, that's last Wednesday, near Keaton Beach, Florida, in Pinellas County on Florida's west coast. And they were spared the worst of Idalia, but the region was inundated with rain and storm surge, according to the Tampa Bay Times. So there you go. Hmm. Let's move on. Um, Mally, I don't know if you've ever had this experience or not, but sometimes we all get a little too tipsy to drive our own vehicle. So we get we get a designated driver. Yes. Okay. A DD. A DD. Right. A DD. That's perfect. Sometimes our DDs a little young. <laughs> okay, it's a fair way to put it. Sometimes, uh, you know, uh, like how young? <laughs> well, you know, maybe they've just passed their driver's license test. Okay, uh, maybe they're eighteen. All right. Okay, maybe maybe they're twenty-one, and maybe they're ten. I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that maybe it's your stepson, maybe it's your son. Right. Uh, you know, maybe maybe they learned to drive in a in a Hot Wheel or a little like Power Jeep, and and you've just uh-huh. decided that hey, you know, they're going to graduate from Power Jeep to Daddy's truck. Right. They you can know. drive in a straight line, so we're all good. That's right. Uh, we go to Phoenix, <laughs> Arizona, where a Phoenix man let. His 10-year-old son drive the pickup truck on the freeway because daddy's had a little too much. <laughs> How could he even reach the pedals? I have a hard time reaching the pedals. Maybe he's tall for 10. Yeah. Well, we'll find out here. A uh, man has been arrested after allowing his 10-year-old son to drive a pickup truck on a Phoenix area freeway. He's getting the lesson the, the hard way, Mal. He's, he's jumping right in, both feet into the deep end, uh-huh. choom, right on the freeway. We're not taking back roads here, Mel. Or was the drunk guy in the driver's seat, but the kid had to control the wheel? Oh, let's find out. You know what I'm saying? Because I yeah. hate that when someone's like, can you take the wheel for a sec? It's like, no, if I do, we're veering because I, my <laughs> peripheral vision, like just everything, we're going to be going towards the right not or the left. We're not staying in the middle. Do you have that happen a lot? I mean, is that a common no, occurrence No, just once you, in a blue moon when someone oh, says, hey, can you take it just for a sec? I'm like, no. We'll be off the <laughs> no, road. No, <laughs> we're going in the ditch. Yeah. <laughs> That's all there is to it. For, I, but I can't. For some odd reason, like for me to lean over, mm-hmm, I can't mm-hmm. do it. Like to stay in the, like yeah. if my body wants to move one way or the other, not go straight. Oh, well, that'll happen. That'll happen. Uh, Arizona Department of Public Safety officials said the boy led troopers on a brief pursuit Saturday afternoon. (laughs) Oh, God, I'd love to be uh, chasing a 10-year-old in a pickup truck if I were a trooper. Could you imagine when the the door opens or you get to the door and there's like a little kid? (laughs) Like you're thinking it's some adult. (laughs) Get out the car now. I'm sorry. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) 
I'm so sorry. Is this going on my permanent record? Uh, by the way, the 10-year-old was weaving and speeding on State Route 101 in Scottsdale, Arizona, before being pulled over. <laughs> I would expect him to do nothing less. Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't expect a straight line out of a 10-year-old, but, you know, it's expecting <laughs> a lot. DPS said the child's 49-year-old father was in the passenger seat, probably giving him the thumbs up while he was chugging on a beer. It's <laughs> my guess. The Phoenix man was booked into the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office uh, jail on suspicion of endangerment, unlawfully permitting a minor to drive and having an open container of alcohol in the vehicle. That's, oh, so he did have an open container. Yeah, see, I wasn't lying when I said that. Idiot. <laughs> he was probably chugging a beer and giving the son the thumbs up. You're doing fine, son. Let daddy finish his beer. I wonder if those charges are less than, like, if you got pulled over for a DWI. You know what I mean? Like, which one's worse? Child endangerment or DWI? <laughs> Mally wants to know what's worse. <laughs> you know what I mean? <clears throat> kind of weigh your options when you get in the car. Like, hmm, do I do I have my 10-year-old drive or do I drive myself? Do I drive with the beer in my hand or do I let the kid drive? And do I get in the passenger seat and drink? Yeah. Got to weigh your, weigh your options there. That's right. <laughs> I love the moral dilemma you bring up there now. <laughs> I'm an overthinker. I just... <laughs> <laughs> I think of all the scenarios, what's the best one? And do you call up the lawyer at that point and ask him before you take <laughs> <Yeah>. off? <laughs> like, Dad, I'm asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> you call you call Dad right away. Yep. <laughs> Meanwhile, Dad's like, call a cab. <laughs> my dad's like, you are not my child right now. I raised you better. <laughs> Me, I'm calling Morty, the the the, the budget <laughs> lawyer. <laughs> He's like, either way, you're going to need representation. <laughs> yeah. Uh, a motorist called 911 around 3.30 p.m., probably shouting his ass off. Uh, and said it appeared a child was driving the truck on the freeway. <laughs> There's a kid driving a truck, and the old man, he's just doing shots. Uh, a trooper spotted the vehicle and tried to stop it after seeing the driver changing lanes unsafely. Well, that was the concern. Uh, DPS officials said the truck failed to stop, and the trooper... <laughs> pursued it before the child driver pulled over into an emergency lane. Well, at least he knew to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. According to DPS, the 10-year-old boy isn't facing any charges. Well, thank God he won't have anything on his permanent driving record. <laughs> uh, sheriff's officials didn't immediately return a call on Sunday regarding whether the father was still jailed or released on bond. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't bury him under the jail, Mal. I wonder if that kid's going to be grounded for not driving well enough where they didn't get, where they got pulled over. Like he didn't do a good job. Uh, I would think that, uh, yeah, the old man probably is uh, going to ground him for a few weeks. <laughs> you do. You let daddy down. Daddy just wanted to have a six pack and drive around with his son. It was a bonding moment. <laughs> That's the ultimate pressure from an alcoholic, isn't it? You just can't drive around and be perfect. 
when I was your age, I drove around perfectly with the old man. We never got arrested. <laughs> You're a failure. Oh. Uh oh, that's terrible, I know. Um when I say the words uh dueling road rage, do you hear banjos? Dueling road rage? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> no. No, okay. Uh, I'm just curious. I live outside Detroit. I don't think of banjos. Oh, okay. okay. I'm just curious. Uh, we go to Florida again, Mel. Oh, boy. Yeah. We're visiting that state a lot today. Yeah, we are. Uh, Okaloosa Academy teacher pulls gun on a teen during a road rage incident. And why not? Mm. We go to Walton County, Florida, where an Okaloosa County teacher was arrested on Thursday following a road rage, road rage incident where he pulled a gun on a teenager. Oh, how the how the tide has turned. Thirty-six-year-old mm-hmm. mm. Brandon Gregor Crumbly of boy, is that a name? Brandon Gregor Crumbly, Mister Crumbly of uh, Freeport was charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon, improper display of a firearm, and obstruction. Hmm. According to the Walton County Sheriff's Office, the Okaloosa Academy Charter School teacher was involved in a road rage incident that took place on August 2nd. Uh, Deputies say Crumbly brake-checked a car driven by a 16-year-old. Oh, don't you love His 16-year-old or his 16-year-old student? No, by a 16-year-old that was behind him. Oh. Yeah, like he was just being an asshole and he brake-checked a 16-year-old. He probably had a bad day at school. I would think for most teachers, students. most teachers every day is a bad day with students. Oh, my gosh. Well, nowadays, too. Yeah. I'm just saying. Students are more defiant nowadays. They are. That's why he's carrying a gun in his car. Now. <laughs> <laughs> or he's in the hood. I don't know this area very well. Well, I don't know it at all in Florida. <laughs> but mm. uh, the sheriff's office said in a release a short time later, Crumbly was parking his vehicle at his apartment complex when the victim... <clears throat> Drove by, rolling down his window, and words were exchanged. Hence, a double road rage incident. <laughs> As the driver passed by, he told deputies Crumley lift up, lifted up his shirt and revealed a firearm because he's gangsta like that. <laughs> Investigators shared surveillance footage from the incident that shows Crumley holding a gun over his head, waving it and pointing it at the victim's vehicle. Hmm. That's all he did it in Boys in the Hood, as far as I know. Uh, when Crumley was questioned during the investigation, he lied and said he never removed the gun from the holster or used it in a threatening way. After deputies reviewed surveillance video, it was found Crumley not only lied, but appeared to taunt the victim with the weapon, according to deputies. As the vehicle was seen leaving the area, Crumley is seen holding the gun over his head, pointing it at the victim's vehicle, and then towards the sky as if to wave it, as if to wave him back towards him. So, in other words, he held it up in the sky like this, <laughs> Mally, and then he's like, "Come on back, son. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Come get some of this nine millimeter." Uh, a warrant was then sent out for Crumley's arrest, and he was found Thursday at his home on Hammock Trail East in Freeport. Crumley was taken to the Walton County Jail and released Friday morning on how much bond? Oh, man, you keep doing this to me. 
<sighs> I'm going to say 5,000. Mm, go a little higher. 750 or 7,500. One more try. Jeez, 10. You 10, got 000. it. You got it. Yay! Circle gets the square. Mally got it. $10,000 bond for Mr. Crumley. Mr. Crumley is an ESE teacher and bus driver at Akalusa or Akalusa Academy Charter School, according to the school's website. So there you go. He's not going to make it out on bail. They don't get paid squat. That's true. Very true. Poor guy. Yeah. Mm. Uh, we continue with the road, road rage shooting. Eight people are hospitalized after road rage shooting leads to a fiery crash in Colorado. Not the place you would think of when you think of road rage. No, not Colorado. No, too much Rocky Mountain High going on. <laughs> yes, <laughs> true. <laughs> a probable road rage incident has left eight people hospitalized after a car crashed into a field near Fort Collins, Colorado. The Larimer, Larimer County Sheriff's Office is investigating a shooting that happened on Thursday afternoon in area northwest of the city near Owl Canyon Road and U.S. Highway 287. Uh, shots were allegedly fired by the driver of the car into another vehicle, which then crashed and caught, caught on fire. Mm. Yikes. Uh, eight people were inside the car when the shots were fired, but none were hit nor received any injuries from the shooting, which is a minor miracle, Mally. Uh, however, they did sustain injuries, mostly minor from being to help the injured people also caught on fire. Yikes. Uh, however, yeah. it wasn't from the burning car, according to firefighters, but because the ambulance was very old. Oh. Just because it was an old ambulance that caught on fire. Uh, one victim had to be airlifted from the scene. Others were taken to the hospital, but have sustained no life-threatening injuries. Both vehicle fires were extinguished around 6 p.m., yet multiple roads were kept closed for an investigation. Larimer, Larimer County investigators are still searching for suspects in the incident. Uh, okay, this next one I don't know qualifies as a crime. Uh-huh. Other than a crime of just, it's a, it's a damn shame type crime. Okay. Are you ready for this? Yep. First of all, uh, not that I'm trying to dig too much into your past history, but do you know of anybody or have you yourself ever been evicted from an apartment? No. And I don't know anybody that has. Okay. Uh, this is a nightmare, Mal, when it comes to somebody being evicted. Okay. Okay. We go to Dallas. Where a Dallas apartment complex evicted a tenant, threw their belongings in a dumpster. <gasps> I saw this on TikTok. But it was the wrong unit. Yes, I saw that. I felt so bad for the guy. Like they threw away fur like everything. They threw away everything. Yes. Yeah. <clears throat> it was a damn shame. Uh, a deep Ellum man says everything he and his daughter own was thrown in a dumpster after the management of his apartment building said they accidentally ordered maintenance to clean out his rental. Oh, my God. Turns out apartment management had the wrong unit number, and now that man says he's out tens of thousands of dollars, but the building management argues he never should have been living there to begin with. Oh, I didn't see that part. Yeah. I just saw the part where they threw away everything and everything was picked over by people that lived in the building. 
and then things were damaged, but they offered to clean his mattress after someone had urinated on it. Oh. And then that's so he's having a hard time to get the apartment complex to give him compensation. Yeah. But he said he was never late with any payments, all that stuff that he was on time. But yeah, I didn't hear about the last part though, that he shouldn't have been living there. Well, let's find out what the story is here. After Johnny Abney spent years building a life for himself and his nine-year-old daughter, everything they own is gone. According to him, he says, quote, clothing items, all of my groceries. They cleared out my refrigerator full of groceries, he said, right down to the shower curtain. The items weren't stolen. They were thrown in the dumpster by order of management at the Hamilton, the high-end high mid. I'm sorry, the high-end mid-rise apartment building where Abney lived in the Deep Ellum neighborhood of Dallas. They came to my door and cleaned everything out from my clothes to my daughter's clothes, toothbrush, bathing items. Pretty much left me with nothing. He said, "It's all in a police report." Abney filed when he returned home from work in late July to find his apartment door unlocked and the con tents cleared out. According to the report's narrative, a leasing agent on site said there was a misunderstanding and maintenance accidentally cleared out Abney's unit instead of the unit next door where a tenant was being evicted. All of Abney's belongings had been thrown in the dumpster hours earlier and had been picked over by other residents, just like Mally had said. Not only did they put my stuff out, they watched people take my property all day, he said. Property management offered to get what they could from the trash and return it to Abney's unit. He says they even had that stained mattress professionally cleaned, like Mally mentioned, but most of his and his daughter's stuff was gone for good. Much of what did make it back from the dumpster was damaged. They told me it was a mistake. They apologized, Abney said. They were overly apologetic. Let us know if anything's missing, they went on to say. But that quickly took a turn. Abney recorded a conversation he had with one of the leasing agents who was quick to point out that the apartment in which he and his daughter lived in was leased by his ex-girlfriend who had since moved out of state. Abney was subletting without permission. And even though receipts provided to Fox 4 by an attorney for for the Hamilton show Abney paid the nearly $3,000 in rent each month, any direct discussion about making him whole was off the table. We are binded we are binded like by law. We cannot discuss anything with you or anybody who is not her lease, the apartment manager said. Oh, I see where this is going. Ah, they found a loophole. Yep. According to this lawsuit, Abney has now filed against the property management company. They gave him 24 hours to fill out his own rental application or face eviction. I've already lost property, he said. Now you're trying to kick me off the property with no resolve, is his question. The eviction notice was posted on his door 24 hours later. Jason Friedman is Abney's attorney. He says the issue of who was on the lease is irrelevant. The rent was paid in full. There was no reason to go into his apartment. There was no reason to throw anything away, he said. The apartment building didn't know when they threw all of that stuff away, whose stuff it was, whether it was the person on the lease or his. 
Friedman adds Abney chose not to fill out the application or pay the fee required for one very simple reason. He chose not to because he wanted to resolve the situation with the property that you threw away before he or before I decide if I'm going to stay in this building, Friedman said. An attorney for the Hamilton would not speak on camera, but did communicate by phone and email. He said if Abney did fill out the rental application, he would have been denied because he already violated the lease terms <gasps> as an unauthorized occupant. So they Bastards. were going to deny him anyways. Yep. With me losing all my property, that's the last thing on my mind, Abney said. According to the lawsuit, the Hamilton also alleged there was counterfeit money pulled from Abney's things. Sneaky, what? You sneaky bastards. Uh, that was another reason they said they would not have been welcome to stay. Fox 4 asked the Hamilton to provide a police report, photos, or video, or any evidence at all. They provided none. Back at Abney's, among the discarded pile of trash school supplies with which his daughter was supposed to start the fifth grade, we found our own. The play money, clearly marked as copy, right next to what's left of her bed. That's oh. the counterfeit money they're talking about. Fox 4 sent a list, list of questions to the Hamilton via their attorney, which went unanswered. They would not sit down with Fox 4 for an interview. They did say they asked Abney for a list of what was missing from his fridge to establish a value for reimbursement. Abney says that never happened. He did move out days after we met with him. That's Fox 4. Uh, he and his daughter are temporarily staying with family. They're being sneaky. Because you know what? So when I had my flat in St. Paul, mm -hmm. I knew the management people. Like, mm -hmm. They got to know everybody. They knew he was living there and not his ex. Sure, sure. I mean, the checks, all that stuff would have been in his name or money orders or whatever he used. They would have got to know him. Absolutely. So they knew it. Yep. So they were just trying to find a loophole so they didn't have to pay. That's right. And probably raise his rent. That's right. That's right. Because he oh, would have. Oh, those he, little stinkers. If he would have been approved, they would have raised the rent. Right. Yeah. But they had no intention of approving him. No, for their error. That's right. Basically. That's right. Ugh. The last two stories today on Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals, Mally, are not safe for work. So we'll give you just a little bit of time here to turn your devices down if you're at work or to get the kids out of the room. I don't know why kids would have been around for this amount of time listening to Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. <laughs> the way we were talking. That's right. <laughs> but get them out of the room and we'll give you five. Four, three, two, one. Uh, this story sent in to us by a listener. By the way, if you have a story for us for dumb crime, stupid criminals, or if you have a if you have a parish share story for us for for supernatural news for tomorrow, uh, you can send it to Tim at darknessradio.com. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, this story sent to us has to do with a British man, Mally, Ooh, who I do is like an accent. Oh yes, uh, do you do one? Uh, no. Oh, okay. I, <laughs> I thought, just like one. <laughs> oh, okay. I thought maybe you were going to do one for us, a British accent before no. we got into the story. No? Okay. I would sound like Mrs. Delphire or something. <laughs> exactly. That's my accent for you. There you go. <laughs> Which I ended up doing for you. you yes, thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, this story has to do with a British man who was caught having sex with a cow. Oh, come on. Yeah. 
After, <laughs> after tripping an alarm set by the animal's vigilant owner, this reported by the Daily Mirror, According to the outlet, a DNA sample confirmed that the... Oh, God. That's right. They got a DNA sample off the cow. <sighs> oh, poor cow. Yeah. Confirmed that 25-year-old Liam Brown was engaged in sexual activity with the animal in Burton, close to Dorset, back on June 12th of this past year. On August 25th, the individual broke down in tears at Poole Magistrate's Court while admitting to sexual penetration with a living animal. Oh, God. That's just disgusting. And inflicting unnecessary pain on a protected animal. Uh, Brown has been granted bail and... Oh, God. He was probably crying because he got caught. Yes, that's exactly what it was. And probably being humiliated in front of all his friends. And is awaiting sentencing on September 22nd in a Crown Court. Now, I'm going to show you his picture, Mally, and you tell me who you think he looks like. Oh, he looks like somebody, but I can't put my finger on it. Doesn't he look like Leonardo DiCaprio's cousin? A tiny bit. Yeah. A tiny bit. He looks like he could be related. At least I think so. I know, that poor cow. Just one of the final two icky stories we have today. And the the final icky story we have today to wrap up dumb crime, stupid criminals. I'll just read the, the headline here to you, Mal. Okay. Tiny taunt lands felon back behind bars. Tiny is in quotes. Okay. A man beat his ex after texts about the size of his manhood. <laughs> somebody's a little uh, somebody's a little sensitive. Yeah, just a tiny bit. Yep. We head back one more time to Florida, Mally. Jeez. I need frequent flyer miles. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> Although we're not going to Spain with those frequent flyer yeah. miles cuz Oh, speaking of Spain and okay. the diarrhea thing. Yeah. Disclaimer, I do have two bonus children, because when I said I have no children, when we're talking about diarrhea, oh yeah, I do have two bonus ones, but I never had to change the diet first. <laughs> yeah. So we're good. I don't want to forget my, about my bonus kids. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't want to <laughs> wipe any shitty butts either. Right? Yeah. Just saying. There's that too. But, yes. So I have two bonus kids. There yeah, we go. Yeah. Let, let, dad, the let dad take care of those butts. Just saying. Yeah. Well, basically, that was it. <laughs> right on. Uh, a Florida man is behind bars on battery and burglary charges after allegedly attacking a former girlfriend who taunted him via text about having a little penis. Oh, it's, it's not the ever. size, though, that matters. Oh, Melly. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just saying. Yeah. If you know how to work it. Yeah, what girl. What you need to do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, there you go, guys. That's the end of the show. Good night, everybody. <laughs> That's all I needed to hear out of today's program. They're not still together, are they? Oh, well, let's find out. Uh, Well, I would see. I think at this point, though, he he beat her over it. So I I don't think they're together. Well, sometimes, though, unfortunately, they stick. They still stay with them. (laughs) Love wins overall. Telling you. Yeah. Uh, 30-year-old Rashad McGriff. It's, it's saying that police allege that 30-year-old Rashad McGriff punched and choked the victim early yesterday 
actually this is a few days ago, so it'd be early a few days ago, August 30th, after showing up uninvited at her Vero Beach home, McGriff, who has a lengthy rap sheet, is oh. Yeah, go figure. Uh, yeah. Evidently can't take criticism. That's, no, he's a little yeah. too sensitive. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know what they say, uh, Mally, a uh, tiny penis, uh, very little <laughs> attention span, and <laughs> poor self-esteem, evidently. Apparently. Yeah. Uh, is currently on probation following a conviction in March for possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. Oh, so she likes the bad boys. Yeah. Well, you know what they say, Mally, uh, tiny penis, tiny gun. <laughs> I, I don't know. Pew, 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 pew. <laughs> That's a cute little 22 you got there, Rashad. Uh, McGriff, the victim told police, is the father of her three children. So evidently oh. it does work. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. He's like so I said, it doesn't matter on size. <laughs> there you go. Investigators say that the 42-year-old woman was in her bed when McGriff got into the house, which he has no commitments to. I don't know what that has to oh, do with anything. Does that mean that they, uh, well, they live apart, apparently. I guess. Mm. I guess that just means he doesn't pay rent. Yeah. Uh, Freeloader. Yeah. That's probably the tiny penis, I'm just saying. Uh, anyways, pew, pew. Uh, McGriff then allegedly punched the woman in the face and choked her, probably because it was tiny penis, mm. uh, which obstructed her ability to breathe temporarily. Yeah, big man. The woman, <laughs> not really. Not really, no. Pew, pew. Uh, the woman who was bleeding from the bridge of her nose told Ooh. police that she had texted McGriff a photo of someone else's penis. Well, that'll... <laughs> <laughs> That'll get him riled up, won't it? Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Can I say back in the day, uh, I used to get, people used to send me their penis pictures. Oh, well, congratulations. Yeah. No, when I was like on air with you guys. Oh, while like, we were on the air? radio station. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Oh. One time this guy put a Kleenex on it and he made it look like a ghost, but it was, it was standing oh. up. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Really? Yeah, yeah. Did, did so that's he, one of the perks of being on the radio. Mm. Yeah, penis pics. Did 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 he draw eyes on it? Yeah. Really? Uh -huh. So it was like a little pop up ghost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With <a> boo, <laughs> boo, scary <laughs> kids, boo. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, but that was yeah. <laughs> I used to get those once in a while. Like <laughs> whoa. And were there other characters too, or is it like a little <laughs> vampire and a little wolf man, or anything like no. that? No. You figured no, like little puppets. Doo, doo, doo. Yeah, like little puppets, little penis puppets. Yeah. You figured there'd be a wolf man, like somebody hadn't shaved in a while. <laughs> yeah. No? Nope. Like that. Hmm. <laughs> well, that was back in the day. No, yeah. Back in the radio days. Good times. That's just my pride. I opened it up. Whoa, hello. Hello. There's a ghost. There's a church. There's a steeple. <laughs> Oh, sorry, huh. I kind of got us off. No, no, not. not well, I mean, what? I should have finished my sentence. Yeah, got you us off track. Should have. Yeah, you should have. Hmm. Anywho, in my head, I completed the sentence. Just out of my mouth, I did not complete the sentence. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> Stop. Okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna okay. shut up now. All right. Uh, okay, so uh, the woman had um, had texted McGriff a 
photo of someone else's penis, which would get Rashad a little pissed off, so to speak. Uh, and advise Rashad he had a little penis. <laughs> she, she played compare and contrast with him. <laughs> <laughs> Probably not the best idea. McGriff did not respond to those texts. Well, he did, but mm-hmm. not in the way she wanted. Uh, she added, but instead arrived at her residence around midnight on Tuesday. I'll show you a picture of McGriff here in a second. Oh, I was like, <laughs> not not a picture of McGriff. Like, oh, no, no, not, not like that. I, I won't show you a ghost picture of McGriff, put it like that. Uh, McGriff had departed the woman's home before cops arrived. McGriff, who was listed as a cook in jail records, was arrested uh, and booked into the county jail. And how much bond, Mally? Let's play that game. <laughs> oh, my God. Okay, he wasn't wielding the gun. How, yeah, how much, does the, how much do you hold the penis puncher on? Oh, I'm going to go for 8000 a little higher. Dang. Mm-hmm. Is it higher than the 10? Yes, yeah, higher than 10. Oh, mm-hmm. let's go for 15. <laughs> he isn't holding 15, but a little bit higher. <laughs> <laughs> let's go for 17. Uh, I'm sorry, Mel. 16,000. 16, oh. You were yeah, close. I don't do well. You were close, but no cigar on that deal. Mm. And sometimes a cigar is just a cigar. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> Uh, McGriff is scheduled for arraignment in the battery and burglary case on October 19th. He will also likely face a probation violation charge in connection with his 2023 gun conviction. Pew, pew. (laughs) (laughs) It's just a 22. Uh, A judge ordered McGriff to have no contact with the victim who told police that she was in fear of McGriff because he had stated, I'll kill you, bitch. Uh, well, he'll try, but he ain't yeah. killing anybody with that little thing. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Not like that. Um, <clears throat> he ain't even breaking a back. He's just spraining it. Oh, just kidding. Oh, there's so many jokes there. <laughs> That's how we end the show with penis jokes. <laughs> That's right. Easy there, tiny. Oh, Uh, The woman has previously sued McGriff three times for failure to pay child support. That's why he's not paying rent. Yeah. Uh, A court hearing has been scheduled for October 12th in the most recent domestic relations case, which was filed two months ago. Now, we're not making fun of the domestic. uh, No, not at all. Uh -uh. That's scary. No, we're just uh, we're making fun of the tiny penis, which is easy to do. Mm. Uh, That's that's what he mean. He does look mean, doesn't he? Yeah. Yeah. So there you go. Have you ever thought about what you would do if you had to get a um tiny penis? No. <laughs> no, a mugshot. Oh. It's like, would you smile? Would you look tough? Like, have you ever thought about it? It's kind of like your passport picture. It's like, hmm, how do I present myself in this? Do I look cute or do I look mean? Do I look drunk? Do I look I mean, would you smile if you had to get a drug or a mugshot? You know, the our guest today, Ron Shepsuk, um, has this uh he was the he's the author of of uh, crazy charlie which is the book that this prizo blanco show on vixes is, is based on uh-huh it's a spanish language uh show about um uh, this drug dealer from the Medellin cartel okay and there's a scene in the first episode where carlos the the drug dealer is booked into an american jail 
and they go to they're just about to take his mug shot and as they're about to take his mug shot he throws up his middle finger and smiles (laughs) (laughs) which i think is just classic but then they they force him to smile and take a regular mug shot or force him to take a regular mug shot right i always thought that'd be a great way to take a mug shot i actually laughed Mm -hmm. out loud when i saw that um that's a perfect mugshot to me. Kind of the old Johnny Cash, you know, throw up your middle finger and take a mugshot. Yeah. But it's like, would you smile or would you try and look all tough? I don't look good tough. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I would a, you smile then? Yeah, probably. I, 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 I have a baby face. I don't have a, I don't have a good tough face whatsoever. Uh-huh. So I'd probably, I'd probably do this. I'd probably do the Shawn Michaels face. I'd do this. <laughs> which nobody can see nice. but you and I, but right, yeah, right. I'd, I'd cross my eyes and, and probably make a weird face. Yeah. Something to make people laugh. Yeah. They'd yeah. be like, can I get a copy of that? I'd like to frame it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> For your bathroom. Yeah. I'd, li- I'd like, a, I'd like a, a, like a, you know, a huge poster size that I can put on my wall. If you, yeah. yeah. I'd probably get one for like crosswalk. Yeah. Cross- jaywalking. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you know what? I told my alternate side parking, uh, story to the um uh to mike ricksecker and to the lime killers at uh michigan paracon they absolutely loved it oh yeah have i ever told you that story nope i've told it here on the show before i won't uh, i won't regale people with it on this episode but um maybe in a future episode i'll tell you off air mally about okay. um the time i spent the weekend in winona county jail over an alternate side parking ticket Oh, yeah. No, you never told me. No. So do you have a mugshot then? No, they didn't. They, oh. they didn't print me and they didn't take a mugshot. Okay. But I'll explain to you why. Um, oh. But let's just say it was a very interesting weekend. <laughs> It's the, it's the best story I have by far, and I had uh, I had all three people actually. Uh, Mike had his wife there, so I had all four people rolling over it. At the time, it's not funny, um, right? Yeah, because I was I was in a. Um, I was in an eight by eight and in a, in a row of cells with five other guys. And let's just put it this way. I'm in on an alternate side parking ticket with, uh, with a bunch of people with some, some felonies that were, were not so nice, but, um, what'd they feed you? Oh, we got catered food the entire time. Oh yeah. Cause Winona County didn't have, uh, um, kitchen facilities. Oh, nice. So they catered in from a restaurant. Nice. Yeah. So no bologna sandwiches for you. No, in fact, they were really good sandwiches. They were like when we had uh, lunch, it was uh, it was like a catered deli sandwich. Okay. Yeah. And, nice. And f- fresh fruit and, and uh huh. Yeah, we. I'm ate, all about the food. Yeah, we we ate, we <laughs> ate well. We ate well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that should be my new book. Judge. <laughs> I mean, I purposely won't put myself in jail. <laughs> <laughs> but. <laughs> <laughs> no, we we ate well. Meals around the county jails. <laughs> yeah. No, we ate well. We ate well. Um, but nice. uh, yeah, yeah. But it, it, uh, I'll tell you the story off here. Okay. Yeah. yeah please do. Yeah. It, it, you'll you'll enjoy it. It's a good one. And now everybody else is like, "Why won't you tell us?" It, it's on a past <laughs> episode of of True Crime Tuesday. I'm, I'm, I'll try to figure out which one it is, and I'll let you guys know so you guys can listen to it. If not, I'll regale you with the tale later. Um, I just don't know which episode. I, I'll regale you with it, but it's, it's, uh, I've told it before. It's, it's old hat. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just put it this way. Um, I owe my, uh, 
I owe my life and my, uh, uh, how should I put this, Mal? I owe my life and my uh, my backside to uh-huh. one of the CEOs at Winona County uh, for uh, not busting me out when I uh-huh. when I gave my story to the other inmates in uh, in Maximum. Because <laughs> <laughs> I lied my ass off when we were giving our stories around the table as to why we were there. I wasn't about to say I was in for an alternate side parking ticket. <laughs> Amongst the murderers. The yeah. <laughs> Drug dealers. and yeah. 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 No, no. I wasn't going to say, I'm in an alternate side parking. Uh, I, yeah. I, I said that I, uh, I, had, I had stomped a guy's head on the bar rail. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> well, you know, you got you to, gotta, you know, when in Rome. So I guess if you're going to get arrested, get arrested in a small town, quaint uh, area to be booked into their jail rather than like Henneman County, like the big, the big one. Right, right. <laughs> Where they put you in orange right away. <laughs> oh, I was in the county blues. Uh, oh, were you? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, they, yeah, they hosed me down, put me in the county blues. And I had gone in, it was overnight. So I, I was, I was trying to drive. I was coming off my shift, um, at KWNO in Winona, yeah. and they do routine stops when okay. when, uh, when it's especially after bar close. And I was driving over the bridge from Minnesota to Wisconsin mm-hmm. uh, because I lived in Wisconsin at the time. And they stopped me before I you know routine stop to see you know right. it's just to see if you're drunk or whatever. And uh, so they stopped me, and of course I'm not drunk. I'm coming from work. So they said, right. okay, no problem. So the listeners are getting the story after all. No, 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 no. I'm going to oh, stop okay. short. But they, <laughs> they went to check my license, of uh-huh. course. And, and so I'm sitting in the car. And they said, oh, you know, I t- told them I'm coming from KWNO. I'm just coming from work. And, oh, no problem, Mr. Dennis. Okay, we're just going to check your license real quick, and you'll be on your way. Great, no problem. I'm sitting in the car, and I'm waiting, and I'm waiting. And I'm getting nervous. Yeah. Now I'm like, well, what the hell's going on? Right, right. This is taking a while. And then the cop walks up to the side of the car and says, "Uh, Mr. Dennis, I'm going to need you to step out of the car. And I'm like, oh, how come? He goes, well, I'm afraid you have a warrant out for your arrest. News to me. Right. I'm like, I do? Well, yes, you do, sir. I said, "For, for what? Well, you have a... An outstanding alternate side parking ticket, sir. Now, what the heck is an alternate side parking ticket? Like, now, alternate side, I don't get it. Okay, so so what happens is in the wintertime in Winona on the street, because I lived on, on West Broadway in Winona. Okay. So, you have to park on the street because you don't really have a driveway. Okay. okay. So, you have, to, you have to park either on one side of the street or the other when they plow. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. All right. I had to deal with that when I went to St. Thomas and St. Paul. Right. There you go. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know what it is. Okay. So, yeah. okay. so I was on the wrong side of the street one day when they plowed and they gave me a ticket. And it's a, okay. It's Rather a, than towing. Right. And it's okay. a $10 ticket. Oh. $10 ticket. Right. Right. So, I asked the, the officer, I said, well, can I, can I just wait until Monday and go in and pay it? At that point, it got real serious with the officer, and he said, are you trying to bribe me? I, I, no, oh. no, 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 sir. I'm not trying to bribe you. I'm just asking, is this just something that can wait until Monday, and I can go in and take care of it? Right. No, 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 no. You don't understand. There's a warrant out for your arrest. 
which means we need to take you in. And I went, oh, take me in. Well, right. can I just get a hold of somebody and, and can I take care of it at the station? No, 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 no. You need to see a warrant. It, right. You need to see a judge. This is a bench warrant. Right. A bench warrant on 10 bucks. Right. Is it because it was it had been so long? Like the ticket had been out there for so long? It had only been out for three years. Only three years. That's a long time, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's like three weeks, three months, three years. A lot can happen years. in three years. Well, in my you world. You never got a notice? Like you never. Got, oh, no. no, you got the ticket. No, I, well, I got a ticket, but I had never gotten, I had never gotten anything in the mail. I yeah, didn't but even that's know because it. it was on your car. Yeah. <laughs> if it's, if the ticket's on your car, you should pay it. <laughs> Not wait for it to come in the mail. <laughs> if they were to do that. I was a college student. I didn't know. <laughs> Yeah, we are pretty dumb when we're in college. Yeah, yeah. So my first run in with the law. My <laughs> only run in with the law. Oops, it blew away. Oops, it blew away. <laughs> so yeah, and it just gets better from there. Anyway, so oh, okay. that's, that's the yeah. It, 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 uh, I learned my lesson. I'll put it this way, Mally. I learned my lesson. <laughs> I learned my lesson well. Pay those tickets. Yeah, pay those tickets. Otherwise, you end up with a couple of drug dealers and a guy who burned his old lady up in a, in a maximum yeah yeah oh my God. yeah you end up with that guy in your cell i would have been like i think there's a mistake here like i'm clanging the bars oh no they, they don't put up with the mistakes no 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 you're there you're there jack you are there so yeah yeah so i learned my i learned my lesson so uh, yeah, so that uh, that was my first run in with the law. Uh, Your first run in, so there's been more. <laughs> no, 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 that was my only run in with the law. <laughs> I only need one lesson, <laughs> then I'm You're good. A quick learner. I am. Most. I'm a very quick learner. <laughs> yep, excellent book learner. Excellent book learner. So that'll do it for today. Um, and uh, tomorrow, Supernatural News on the program on Darkness Radio. Got a good week of shows this week, folks. Uh, Thursday this week, Mally. Uh-huh. Are you ready for this? Sure. The Click-A-Tat Ape Cat. Say that what? 10 times. Yeah. Click-A-Tat Ape Cat. Okay. A, a, a somewhat new cryptid. Okay. Click-A-Tat Ape Cat. Is it found in the States? It, it, it's, it's in Washington. It's not too okay. far away from Trout Lake, Trout Lake, oh. Washington, and the Assetti uh, Ranch. But we'll talk, we'll talk Sasquatch, we'll talk aliens, and we'll talk the Klickitat Ape Cat. That is hard to say. Yeah. I, t t tell me about it. I practiced it in front of the mirror <laughs> for about half an hour. So, yeah, the Klickitat Ape Cat is coming up this week with our buddy James. Not Gilliland, but a different James. So... Um, Shubstack, I believe his name is. So, uh, but we'll talk to James this week about the click attack ape cat. Pretty cool, huh? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's all coming up this week. So we'll have Mally back tomorrow for Supernatural News, unless she's not planning on showing up and I'm just putting her on the spot. But, you know. I'll be there. Oh, there you go. Okay, so I put her on the spot. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my loitering ways. <laughs> there you go. And your loitering ways. See? She said that in sheer horror. Yeah, horror. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> 
But that'll do it for today for Dumb Crime, Stupid Criminals. From Mally Fox, I'm Tim Dennis. Thank you so much for continuing to be a wonderful and faithful listener of Darkness Radio. We greatly appreciate it and of True Crime Tuesday. So uh, thank you so much for listening today. We'll see you tomorrow for Supernatural News on Darkness Radio. And thank you so much for listening to the best in true crime podcasting. This has been True Crime Tuesday.